What's up my fellow poker enthusiasts, it's Renee aka The Wacko here and together with my co-host Adam Carmichael we present to you the Mechanics of Poker podcast. In this podcast we deconstruct high stakes poker players figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. Over the years, me and Adam have gained a lot of experience in both reaching high-stakes poker ourselves and teaching other players to do the same. We have bundled all this knowledge together in our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, which is the most complete poker coaching product on the market. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam so you can get unstuck and make more progress in your poker career, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply. But without further ado, let's learn from another high stakes player's journey in today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Me and Adam, we are very excited to start chatting with today's guest. But before we introduce him, we have a quick announcement because if you want to work with me and Adam, to improve your poker game, now is the chance. Because during the next two weeks, we will be accepting new applications to our Mechanics of Poker coaching program. We're looking for 10 students to join the community. So go over to mechanicsofpoker.com, fill out your application, and get a chance to take one of the available places and have me and Adam improve your poker career. If you guys think that online poker is that then pay attention because today's guest is 30-year-old Austrian high-stakes cash game player Joseph Schusterich. I'm probably butchering that. Sorry, Joseph. AKA Sunny92 on PokerStars. Probably one of the fewest players with an Austrian flag who's actually Austrian. Joseph started his poker career only a few years ago when COVID hit, starting at 50 in Zoom crushing his rate through the pools, becoming one of the biggest winners on Poker Stars in 2022, whilst mainly playing three and four-handed and eventually reaching stakes as high as 5,100, making him actually one of the fastest and most recent risers to the high stakes we have had on. Today, we are going to try to uncover his secrets to make it more likely that our listeners, you, could replicate this impressive progress that he has made. As always, we are joined by my lovely co-host, Adam. Adam, throughout your career, how often did you think poker is dead? And how often did you find out it was actually still very much alive? Well, I started my poker career about three months after Black Friday. So all I heard the first year was, what are you doing? Poker's dead. Do something else. It's not a game. Then I started playing Heads Up Sitting Goals, and I was playing regular speeds. And after a few months of playing those games, maybe three months those games literally died out and the kind of format switched to hyper turbo. So my first year was like, am I doing the right thing? Is all these games going to die? And then probably three years into my career, maybe four years, they introduced a, a spin and go format, which is a three-way format, which competes with head and, heads of spin and goers. And again, all the talk was like the format's going to die and yeah, there's going to be loads, you change your career basically. So uh, yeah, you hear it many, many times. It's very interesting how it always feels real. Right now we've got the GG rig scandal going on and 
everyone's going to say that high stakes games are dying. So uh, there's always the next thing that makes people worry. I think the main thing is the games are good. Games are beatable. There's people making money. Do you want to be one of them? And Joseph, our guest today, is one of those people who did not get deterred by any sort of news that things were dying. He started his career in the heat of COVID, basically, when he went pro. And yeah, we're going to uncover how he's been able to uh, rise through uh, the volatile poker world so quickly to play in high stakes. So yeah, really interested to know what he's been doing differently because obviously very, very fast progress progression and yeah interested to know what he's doing different to the other players we spoke to yeah guys get your pen and papers out make notes because i'm sure there's a lot of wisdom that's going to be shared in this pot but before we start talking to joseph big shout out to gto wizard for sponsoring today's podcast gto wizard has made studying poker accessible for everyone and in my opinion is one of the best places to go if you are serious about improving your poker game Next to having access to all GTO solutions for every spot and having the ability to upload your hand and have Wizard find it for leaks, you will get access to weekly webinars in which various coaches, including myself, educate you on the most important spots to start crushing the game. Go over to gtowizard.com mechanics to get started and you will get 10% off on your first month. That is gtowizard.com mechanics. At the end of this podcast, we will have a giveaway where you can give, uh, where you can win one free month subscription to GTO Wizard. So make sure to stick around. But for now, without further ado, let's start talking with Joseph. Hi there, Mr. Joseph. We get all good, all good. How about yourself? All good. Thank you for coming on. It's agreeing to come on to share to share the story with our audience. An honor to be here. I know, I know. I saw that uh, in uh, in the questionnaire that we ask people to fill in. One of the high points for you was actually being invited to the podcast. So, you know, we we, yeah, we, we feel very humbled. Uh, I mean, like, this. you know, this is so many people that I kind of looked up to through, throughout my career have been here. The likes of, you know, uh, Moonstar, Dude, like all, all, all the, the legends of the game. And now I'm sitting here and, uh, you know, are allowed to present some some of my opinions, which is very great. And... I, I, I kind of see this as an honor. So this uh yeah, this is definitely one of the high points so far. Let's put it like that. Nice. Okay. So we have a new definition of success. That's why you get invited onto the mechanics of poker podcast. Linus, love if you're mis if you're listening, you know, your your career is not complete without coming on the mechanics <laughs> of poker. I mean it depends probably on what your goals are. If like True, true. But, you know, if we now establish that that's kind of the new definition of Yeah, that's right, that's it, right. Then, Maybe uh, we know, can set a trend. hasn't made it yet. So, um, episode coming up with Linus very soon, guys. So, I wanted to uh, congratulate you because we usually ask people, like, hey, how long did it take you to get to high stakes? And you were actually the fastest riser and also the most recent riser we have had on. And indeed, you beat the likes of, I think it was Dot and Kudinov. They were kind of shared for first in four years. You managed to do it in, like, two and a half to three from the beginning all the way to high stakes. Very impressive, very impressive. Thank you. And I think the goal today is to try to educate the listeners to see, you know, how they can, yeah, I would say mimic maybe your journey, learn something from your journey in order to make it more likely that they will succeed as well. Poker, this is actually something that, uh, or in general playing cards, from what I understood was nothing new in that the, in the Shustri's household. Card games were a regular thing, I believe. Yeah, that is very true. So usually at like holidays or or like occasions where the family met, I remember there was 
always like after lunch after after dinner when there was like three time um generally like my uncles my fathers like the whole family were were into card games it wasn't specifically poker but like just different card games so um um we got like as kids we got introduced pretty quickly into those like back then you were not playing for money just playing for fun and i remember like I was pretty young. It was like when the poker boom came out, my two uncles were, I think, into poker a bit. I, I didn't really catch that necessarily what they did or how they played online. Um, I mean, probably not extremely successful because then, you know, they would have, uh, might have pursued that career uh, career too. But uh, that's kind of where we got into poker. It's like where they introduced everyone to, to the game. And then we started you know, playing for basically no money or like no money at all. Um, just some, some sort of sit and go kind of format. Just nobody know, knowing what's up anyways. Everyone is just punting around. It was like a lot of fun back then. Um, and this is where, where I first um, got into poker basically and uh, how things started, you could say, but um, you know, that, that was just the, the occasional game for no money at all, like once per month, uh, something about that. Yeah, the poker that that was like the poker game with your family. You're playing other games as well. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know, like what, what this is. Yeah, I, I at least uh, from from like uh, my aunts and uncles and like I think there there were oftentimes at least that's what my my grandma always told me that there was like often arguments where she had to stop the game because uh, people were uh, losing their minds. This is only what I've been told. I, I don't know if that necessarily is true. Um, but yeah, like everyone wanted to win, event, uh, um, basically, and uh, yeah, it got it was very competitive at, at, at that time, and still is a bit now, basically, when you play for fun. Before being a professional poker player, you have used, or maybe even further developed, this competitive drive that uh, apparently was very common in your family by playing League of Legends at a professional level. Has there been anything you learned being a professional League of Legends player that you think? helped you give a head start over <laughs> other players starting out their professional poker career? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the League of Legends career might have made me one of the most tilt-proof poker players out there because uh, that, game, game? It, that game is has such a toxic community, especially... I mean, this was about, like, I think the career of League of Legends started maybe like 10 years ago. Um, and back then you made little to no money. So I was a student at university, not doing anything at university, basically just playing League of Legends all game and then partying at the evening. Like this was kind of my, my schedule back then. Um, and depending on how successful you were, you could make, let's say, one to $2,000 per month, but it was not a fixed salary because you had to compete in weekly, monthly tournaments. And depending on how well you did, you basically like shared... Uh, between five people because that was like a team consisted of five people. So if you had like a, if you won a tournament or prize money um, for like $5,000, everyone had got $1,000. And you got like, depending on, on how good you were, you could also be contracted to some sort of organizations that were marketing you. And then you had like a little salary. It was maybe if, if back then it was like four or 500 bucks, it was not that much. So like back in the day, you could, essentially live from it especially i was still living uh, at my parents back then so i had no expensive and this was quite a reasonable income for me um and it developed over time where you could actually make more money so back then i was 
most of the times traveling like once a month to like an offline event and playing from there, trying to compete there. And depending on um, how much money you made, like that, that was kind of the salary. But the problem with League of Legends was, is you like the improvement was 80 to 90% playing on your own, which included for other people, for other random people. So we, you were always matched with four random people. And back then, everyone thought he's just, you know, the best player there is and nobody, you know, was uh, taking any critique or whatever. So if someone, something went down, uh, you know, the toilet in the game, um, everyone just started fighting and blaming each other and insulting each other. So it was really hard to focus on the game. And the problem with the game itself was that usually, or, or let's say on, on at least on a very high level, some mistakes you could not make up for at some point. So you could five or 10 minutes in the game like a huge mistake could happen and you know the game is lost unless maybe someone someone of enemy team is going to disconnect like that's the only thing you could hope for but the problem is you were still stuck for like another 15 to 20 minutes because you could you could not um forfeit the game until 20 minutes i think back then so there was no way of you getting out of the game earlier and usually everyone still tried to win at least. So it's not like you just told the enemy team to finish the game within like two minutes. So we, you were stuck with other four people just massively arguing for around 20 minutes. And it was very hard to keep calm, especially when you had, let's let's call them downswings, when you have lost like a couple of games in a row. Um, yeah, I think uh, back then I, I was not so good at handling that but nowadays I, I i probably am better at that and i think if i can relate this to poker just on in poker itself you're the only one responsible for the outcome basically regardless of like what the result is in the hand like you you're responsible for a decision and the decision they made is either good or bad um and you're the only one that you know you, you can blame if you made a bad decision or a good decision whereas in league of legends there's oftentimes there were days where you lost 10 games in a row and you couldn't do anything about it because other people were just not giving a fuck about the game. And that was really, really frustrating. So I really appreciate being kind of the only one that 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 is the one to blame. I mean, you can also see it on the other side, if you play bad, you're also the only one to blame and you have to deal with that. But for me, this is like a, a, a big bonus of... of poker compared to compared to like you know video game for example where you have to play with random players yeah it's especially if that was like one of your main frustration points and if you find a game like poker and like oh wait i don't have to deal with you know these teammates screwing up and you know i can only screw up it's must feel very liberating in a way yeah for sure especially you know like the, the problem is i don't have a lot of problems or like i'm constantly trying to improve so if i'm made a mistake or like same within poker if if i play a hand in in, in a bad way like i'm a very i appreciate if someone else is telling me or at least critiquing that play and then we can discuss whether this makes sense or not and the same thing for for league but in league you always had the problem that you know it wasn't in any sort of constructive way so like you were already down because you made a mistake now you know that you kind of ruined the game for other four people and then there is, uh, you know, that they keep, you know, going on to the guy or like keep keep just arguing for 10, 15 minutes. It's just uh, some some days were just unbearable in, in that regard. In terms of uh, strategy, do you see any similarities between 
Legends and Poker. Or mm. I guess maybe 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 League of Legends has taught you how to think strategically, but then again, <laughs> with with the games in your family, maybe that has already started. Yeah, probably. Um, I don't think there's a lot of similarities in terms of like strategic aspects that you can take away, but I think definitely the the, the mental as like the mentality aspect of you know um, being able to appreciate the own uh, being able to appreciate being the only guy that could be blamed for for an action is 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 pretty nice, so to speak. No, yeah, that, that's something that I can definitely understand. Uh, I'm I'm curious, like you're clearly a very competitive person. I'm curious, how does competition uh, make you feel? Because I can imagine that for many, competition, especially very tough competition, uh, can be quite intimidating. And people might even shy away from participating in a game or playing in a game. But for you, it seems to be the opposite and it's more of a motivation. What yeah. makes you not shy away from it, but go towards competitiveness instead? I mean best example basically is I if I play a game three or four handed which I probably do in almost every session I play on like 2k or whatever the stake might be especially on stars the games that I enjoy playing the most is like the toughest uh, you know three or four handed games because I and in, the, in those kind of games I just get challenged the most it, for me it kind of feels easy in, in like playing games with, with recreationals or like weaker other professionals because they are not really trying to push you to the limits they're, they're not really testing you and it's very clear for for most of the game three where where you know like where the decisions are, are very obvious whether this is like a good or a bad one whereas if you play against like really good other players you will be oftentimes put into spots where where every decision is like super marginal and you try you you will be forced to find edges if there are any that are really 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 like small and this is kind of the driver that I, that I have like I, I just want to like basically play in the toughest game that I can how to say make make a case for affording to to, to deal with the variance so like if I think that the variance can be no problem and I'm not losing like an insane amount and I think I could at least break even or slightly win in a game I would never shy away and also what I would say is that kind of my goal is to become or like be the best possible poker player that I personally could be. And in order to achieve that goal, like my my sort of game selection shouldn't be only um, weighted towards which is the highest EV game to play in terms of like money. So long-term, if, if, if I look at it long-term, if I play in super tough games, I constantly have to improve. I constantly have to study and I constantly have to play my A game and do, I'm not really select, uh, 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 allowed to slack around because like these guys, they they're really good, and if if I start not caring too much, just you know playing B game, I will probably lose a, a, a lot of money very very quickly. Um, and this kind of is the driver for me why I still want to play in those games because I want to constantly improve, and I'm not ready to just you know settle down and play recreationals for for the next five years kind of only because I still see room for improvement and I want just want to become better than than I was like a year ago. What is your definition then of a good poker player? Because for example, you could have a player, let's say he made, uh, let's say he made a million, okay? But he never battled. He was always there behind his computer, jumped in the game when it was good. A, a very, very good professional bomb hunter, so to speak. Yep. Okay? That's kind of what he excelled at. 
But let's say you have a guy who only made half the money, but he was battling it out with the boys, you know, <laughs> on, the, on the poker test tables. <laughs> he made only half the money, but would you then say, and he's probably tougher to play against, would you then say he's the better poker player? I mean, I think... I don't think you can give a clear answer to that. It's always like in terms of you have to put into perspective what what the goals are of of like different players. So if someone is saying that his his goal is to make as much money as he possibly could within the next or like mid to short term, then the guy who who won a million playing in the softed games is is the best poker player because I think it's just um, like the goal and the mix of what you're doing probably defines what what the best poker player is, and that's like very subjective to everyone. Obviously, you could say the guy that makes the most money is the best player in terms of you know money ways to have some sort of measurement. That not does not necessarily mean that the guy that makes the most money is the best technical player, or has the best skills, or knows the deepest about the game, basically. So the guy that makes the most money does not necessarily need to be the best technical poker player. But um, you could say that if you take into consideration like getting into games, especially live games, like with social skills and stuff, um, that whatever weighting you put onto these different categories, like the guy that made the most money is the best player and and the guy that makes less money is you know less of a successful player, so to speak, because um, 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 he was, was, was just playing tougher games. Whereas... I, this is where you put things into perspective. If you would consider what's going to happen next 10, 20 years, and if your goal is to play for the next 10, 15, 20 years, then probably the guy that is now trying to become as good as possible will just remain longer than the guy that is only bum hunting. So this, I, I don't think this is a, this is kind of an, a question that can, you can, can be answered easily. Like, you probably need different measurements, which everyone would have like different opinions on. And so, um, you could I could just give a personal opinion of like what a good poker player could be or is. Yeah, to to kind of to kind of help you out, where I've given this some thought as well. Like the word poker player, or you then automatically I see you go, yeah, but is he really a good poker player? And then in your head, you probably go, do I find him tough to play against? You could also label it like one guy is maybe more professional. Okay, that if you then say, okay, he finds the right spots, makes more money, so therefore he's a better professional. Maybe the guys, the other guy is actually a better player. I definitely agree with you that if bomb hunting is all he does, then at some point, you know, everyone improves. And if he's not improving, at some point, he cannot anymore find a game. Exactly. Basically, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's always very important that people, the audience listening, to ask, to answer that question for yourself. Because someone might be doing a lot of battles, but he wants to make the most money now. Then that's maybe not in line with your goal at the moment, right? Or maybe someone is doing a lot of uh, bomb hunting because he learned that, you know, you should game select, you shouldn't battle. But it's actually very competitive. And that's actually what drives him. And that's actually what his goals are. So I think it's very important to, uh, yeah, to kind of answer this question for yourself. So you can uh, yeah, align the table selection in this case uh, with your goals. Exactly. Like, I totally agree with everything you just said. Have you also experienced any uh, negatives around being a very competitive person? For example, I know you like to play football, ice hockey as well, but not at a very serious level. So I would guess that is more of a fun activity. Does this competitive then sometimes get in the way of that? 
maybe getting too upset when things don't go your way. You know, you're on the ice hockey pitch. Someone gives you a bumpy punch in the face. <laughs> it's a very, very rough game. Nah, so like the only thing that really upsets me is when I did poorly. Like I don't really care if we lose or win as long as I did the best possible that I could con uh, like contribute to the game kind of, or like at least, you know, I'm somewhat satisfied with what I did. So as you, as you mentioned, it's not an, on a competitive level. I just do it like as a hobby, as, as a recreational, it's just an amateur level. And to add to that, like I was doing a lot of sports and also a bit more competitively when I was younger. And I had um, two knee injuries and had to undergo two surgeries. So like nowadays, my focus is just to have fun, to be somewhat you know competitive and not to injure myself. Like this is the main goal, just to do sports while um, not injuring myself. And therefore, like I don't have high expectations of, you know, like I just don't go in um, and I have to win every single game, even though obviously I try. But um, it's more important to, to, to have like a nice game, have a lot of fun and then have also like just sit down with the other guys and have some beers have a good chat like that's uh that's basically the the, the main goal of, of playing nowadays so your competitiveness doesn't get in the way of no, you having not, fun not necessarily no no all right yeah sometimes you know you have some of these guys i remember recently there was a guy in my football game that seemed to every week try to start a fight like in a friendly yeah, night that is, like, like i, I don't understand what this the like fuck it's is your problem. just insane yeah, yeah, yeah like it's insane like like in dirty play kicking you i'm like what the hell are you doing I mean, we banned the guy from the game luckily uh, yeah, this, that's, yeah. Uh, i mean that's insane but also in terms of like if you play like a friendly card game nowadays at the family you lose you take it well you know yeah, although like you know, we're still occasionally playing poker at our house. Like ever since I started playing professionally, and uh, you know, this is just this is the same thing as like you know, like six, seven, ten years ago, just the sit and go format where it's like super speed. We're raising the blinds every orbit, kind of, and it's just insane structure. And I just happened to bust like very quickly, oftentimes, and then yeah, especially like my brother is is mocking me a bit. So, but you know, it's fine. Um, that's something you have to take, you know, that's, that's okay. Yeah, you get the classic, I thought you were a professional. Uh, yeah, something like this. <laughs> <laughs> always the same, man. If you play poker with non-professionals that know you're professional, as soon as you lose your hand, they say, oh, I thought you were a professional. Uh, it's like he's winning, you know, two back-to-back -back sit, and, sit and goes within like one hour. And then he's like, maybe I should start playing online, you know, like it seems like easy. And I'm like, dude, please, just uh, before you do that, uh, give me a phone call so we can have a talk about this one. That seems like a very good idea. Uh, moving on a bit forward, like when you finished uni and didn't further pursue your League of Legends career, you started working in finance. How did you transition from working in finance to pursuing a professional poker career? Um, you maybe missed like... I think I have to correct you because I never finished my university. I um, started working when I was, I think, in the third semester or something. Hmm. So, that so you, you, all... you quit you quit uni to yeah to I mean it was it, it was kind of an awkward situation because there's still military service in Austria like uh, that you're obligated to do that and due to my knee injuries I was uh, temporarily unable to go there so I had to go there every year to do a checkup and when I was in in like the I was like one year into university and let's be honest that I, I was playing League of Legends and I the focus of doing good at university was very low. So 
I, I, I went there and I basically got checked up and everything was all right. So I was now allowed to go there and I could make the decision whether to do it now or at the end of the period that I was allowed to study. And at that point, you know, I was honest to myself, there was no chance of me finishing with that time. So I had the decision whether to go now or at the end where I was close to finishing. So I, I did that at this point. And in Austria, you can choose between military service and then some sort of social work or, or social service like for a year. And I did like the social uh, the social work stuff and got into a, a company where um, I was helping out in the office. And back then there was um, uh, like the, the CEO or, or, or the guy that was responsible for, for, um, for this department saw some potential in what I was doing um, and offered at the end of this time, offered me a job in, in like a position in finance where I would need a degree on the university to apply. So he basically trusted in my capability and abilities. And back then that was like a really good deal for me. So I don't, didn't have to go back and I started in like a really well-paid job and yeah, I took that opportunity and, and started working in finance at, at that point. So this is kind of how, how it went. Ah, all right. And then I'm I'm curious, what made you give up like your professional League of Legends career? Was so, it then the, the, the fact that you got this job? What, it it was, yeah, kind. It, it was a mix between that. So at that point, um, we had an offer from the organization that was kind of sponsoring us to move to Germany into a gaming house. And one that basically the only criteria that i wanted is that everyone because the team that i was playing with were were playing like for around a year together and everyone was knowing each other and it was like a re really nice uh, yeah couple of guys and i just wanted to have these guys to move to germany if that was the way to go so i think we agreed on doing this for half a year or a year and then we see how things go in order whether this will um be anything for the future or not and there was two guys that couldn't see themselves pursuing this. They didn't want to leave their home and um, they didn't want to move into a gaming house. So I said that I would turn down because they also offered us to build like a new team if someone were to leave, like just find other people. And I was like, nah, like I don't see this happening. I don't want to move in with strangers now where I don't know whether this is like where I connect to these people and I know and I get along with those guys. And at the same time, basically this offer came in. So it was kind of an easy decision to make because you know, like this one seemed like a bad choice and the other one seemed like a good opportunity. And that was kind of where, where you know, the professional career was over. And then at that point I still was playing, like let's say semi-professionally, just playing like local tournaments, Austrian tournaments, Austrian leagues were, or like German leagues, um, where the, the amount of time that I had to invest wasn't that high. Um, to compete on the on, on this bomb hunting the league of legends scene yeah i mean you know the game developed so quickly that it was kind of tough to do that um probably similar to poker where you if you don't spend a lot of time and you actually do other stuff on the, on the same time it just gets too much and then you just fall behind and you either have to make a decision whether this is worth it or not yeah that, that makes a lot of sense so you got this opportunity at the finance job when did poker get back in the picture again? Like yeah. I can imagine that if you only do finance, League of Legends, I guess if you play it a bit on the side, it's, it, it probably feels less fulfilling, right? You're not as good as you know you could be. Exactly, exactly. And also, 
the, a bunch of 14-year-olds kicking your yeah. ass. That's what I hate about online games, man. If you now play, yeah. you, if you go sit in Counter-Strike, you know, you hear like the microphones as a kid of yeah. 12. Also, the lifestyle was, was really fucked up for me because I was working full-time. And when I came home, I basically played five to six hours of League of Legends every day still. Because, you know, I, don't, I didn't want to disappoint the others. I just wanted to keep up. And at that point, I think I was sleeping probably four to five hours on average for like a longer period of time. And that was just really, really, really bad. And at some point, I, I just figured this has to stop because um, I was, was really drained. So, yeah, I, I stopped. I mean, I didn't stop fully playing League of Legends, but like on a competitive level, I was just still playing for fun at the, uh, like after that. But, you know, I could just take days off and then just play whenever I wanted and wasn't really forced to play in order to keep up with the guy, with like all the other guys. What ended up happening then was at, at the job, like the first one, two years were, were really nice. Like I learned a lot. I had to, you know, uh, do like all the new stuff took like quite a while to, to, um, to finish. But after like two or three years, there was like the, the regular stuff probably took me half of the time or maybe even less in order to finish. So there was like a lot of three times. Then obviously year from year, there were new projects that took some time, but there was still like quite some downtime that back in the, or like at the time, whereas there was playing League of Legends, I filled up with just looking at some, um, you know, some replays, looking at some other professionals to, to study a bit of their game and, and stuff like that. And when I stopped playing League, I obviously stopped doing this too. And then I suddenly had, let's say, an average from one to two hours per day where I wasn't really occupied at, at the work. And I also didn't want to uh, didn't want to uh, go to the guy that was in charge and said, yeah, dude, like um, I, <laughs> I got nothing to do. Just give me more, give me more, give me more. Because uh, it kind of sucks to just being, uh, you know, 100 percent, like just having to do 100 percent of the time uh, every single day. And. At that time, I think it was like, let's say a year or something later. I, I can't recall when this exactly happened. I, I stumbled across like the Lex Veldhaus stream on Twitch because like Twitch was very popular for, for, for League of Legends. And I think it was on a final table Twitch front page. And I looked into this because I know back then when I got introduced to poker, I, I saw some videos of him at WSOP, like some highlights and stuff. Obviously, I had no clue what the fuck was going on. But I recall this guy, you know, from, from the videos back in the days, and I was like, yeah, let's watch. And it, it was fun to, to look at him playing, to look at the game. And I kept being interested and kept watching like poker related streams for like quite a bit. And then at some point I, I decided, you know, like let's let's play some a little bit for online poker again. Um, and actually at that time I was just playing tournaments and complete like complete family i had no clue i didn't know what ranges were i had no idea about the game i was just sitting there for fun playing you know 10 20 30 dollar buy-in tournaments maybe most of the times one or two at a time and i remember i binked uh about like a bounty builder in stars i think it was like for 30 dollars and i don't know what was up top like maybe four five k that i made at the time and i was like man what the fuck is this like i'm rich basically <laughs> started playing some 100 zoom some 200 zoom and then like some regular tables and yeah didn't go that well you know like uh, uh, i had no clue what i was doing back then and yeah i lost the majority of of, of this back then which wasn't that bad because it got me really frustrated and then i started 
you know, trying to dig deeper because I, I figured there's some people winning in these games. There must be some sort of strategy. I don't think that some guy is just going to wake up and be that poker genius that just figure is figuring out that the fly and uh, is doing that. So there has to be some, some sort of idea behind that. Yeah, and then started digging deeper, slowly understood what ranges were, that you just play the same hands preflop every single time and not just your favorite hands and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, this is, this is then how I, how, how, I, how I got back into poker. And then I started, you know, trying to be more reasonable, learned about bankroll management and all the important stuff. And uh, yeah, at that point, I, I think I, I, I was just grinding, you know, NL10, NL20 with like a few hundred bucks without busting my role, basically. Um, and at some point, <laughs> there was a, because I was looking at a lot of poker free poker related stuff. And then there was like an, adver an advertisement that came up um, where the some cash course from Bluff the Spot was on sale with like 40% discount, 50%. I can't remember. I think back then I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't know what I had today, but I really felt like buying that one and just using this and was curious about what's in there. I think it was four, 500, even 600 bucks, something like that. And that was already on discount, so to speak. Um, and what you got was like a video series and pre-flop blanches like the the legendary pre-flop bible um nowadays like everything what i bought there was is heavily overpriced for the content that you get but i, I mean back then i didn't know um still i don't regret buying it because i now had even though the ranges were not great let's be honest i still had the pre-flop plan instead of just doing nonsensical stuff that already helped a lot but there were a video series of like introduction to Pyre Solver and how to use Pyre Solver. And at that point, like I was hearing that, you know, the term solver and GTO and blah and all, all that uh, stuff for in, in, in streams and so on. But I had no clue what the fuck they were talking about. And when I first saw the Pyre Solver and how to work with it, my mind was basically blown. Like I, I, I did not understand that at this point I wasn't using something like this to, in order to improve the game. Cause I was just making up wide theories on how to play and you know, just, you know, the human thing to do. I do this because of that and stuff like that. Um, and that basically blew my mind. Uh, like that's kind of where, 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 where I first realized that there, you know, could be a chance of becoming really good at poker. That, that's. Is there anything similar for League of Legends? Like, is there a solver for League of Legends? Ah, uh, no, no, I, especially back then, everyone was just, you know, making up things just sitting down and then theory crafting about stuff, trying it out in like real games. And I think nowadays it's very advanced and I'm not up to date with what nowadays coaches and analysts and so on use, but um, something like a silver there, there's, there's not in, as far as I know. So you, uh, you start to grind the solver. You remember some of the first big aha moments you got when, when you started <laughs> to grind the solver, like the first aha moment, I guess that there was a solver and like, oh, wow, this is, this is a strategy. Like you said, I don't only play my favorite hand, by the way, I still have a favorite hand. Shout out to my favorite hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you so, remember like what, what, what yeah, yeah, but aha moments? I mean, back then I, I didn't know that things in poker that are like generally everything that is very valuable is very expensive. Like I, I thought this was just insane prices and I saw Pio, I understood what, what like the output was and 
I meant back then I had no clue how to how to use it. But you know, no, I just paid five hundred bucks for this course, like something around that. And then I googled PyoSolver. I got onto the website and I saw four hundred bucks of PyoSolver. I'm like, now come on, I, I'm playing like. 25 and L, like I can't just spend $1,000 at the time for uh, for poker. So what I did, I was trying to find alternatives. And <laughs> um, the thing I started with was was an app that had post like some sort of post flop database where you could train spots. I mean, the ranges, prefab ranges were bad. The game trees were bad. Obviously, I had no clue back then. But I was like, I think it, the subscription was like a yearly subscription was 50 bucks. I'm like, all right, this is cheap. This is something like, there's a reasonable amount. Let's try that one out. And what I started doing is just playing, you know, the trainer while I was at work, you know, on my phone when I had downtimes and did that for like a couple of weeks, trying to improve that way. The only problem that I have doing it that way is when I was playing at home or at the weekends or whenever I had time and I decided to play, I was started marking spots and I could not look up these specific spots in the solver because let's say the board was check 10 do's on the flop. It was a three bet pot in this, in the, in the application, you could only choose, you want to play a check high board and these positions and then in of out of position. And then obviously if it's single race pot or three bet pots. So what I ended up doing is, if, if I had marked the hand that had this board, I started playing the application until this board eventually came up in order to, to, get, to, 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 to get my answer, kind of what, what am I doing here? I had, and sometimes I was spending like half an hour, an hour playing a spot, sometimes brainlessly just clicking through in order to get to this, to this one board that I wanted to look at. And then the game three was so bad that, you know, the takeaway was back then I thought I figured it out, but now it doesn't know that that was like complete nonsense. Uh, so did that for probably a couple of weeks, maybe like one or two months. And I got really frustrated at some point. I was like, no, I can't, I can't do this. Like this, this is not the way it goes. And at that point I found out that there is like a cheaper version it is like GTO plus like the, um, so I bought that for a hundred bucks, obviously not knowing anything about how to construct, like, or how to put import ranges, how to build post flop trees. And back then I wasn't really connected. I was doing everything on my own. So I had to figure it out myself kind of, um, I know that after getting GTO plus the, the first two days, I think I spent probably 16 hours of just putting in the ranges manually, just you know, every every single race pot range put in, every three way pot range put in from every position versus every position, just insanity. And then I started running my own sims and the outputs were absolutely insane. Like I did not did not understand anything because the outputs were so far off from what it's supposed to be. And at that point where I got GTO plus, I joined um, a community that um, there's like a discord community where they were talking strat and what I did, cause I was kind of, my ego was preventing me from asking others. Cause some of them were playing in the same games and they were already talking about Pyo and I didn't want to look like the biggest idiot. So what I ended up doing is I posted like a hand or a spot and then asked for the Pyo solutions. And then ran the sim myself in order to compare, um, um, you know, the solutions that they had to the solutions that I had, that I had on on like a lot of streets. 
and <laughs> I was just trying to mimic the, what, what they posted me. So and I just started changing the tree until I finally got the solution that they also had in Pio. You know, in in order to have some sort of um, correct game tree, let's put it like that, a correct solution. If, like thinking about this nowadays, I, I could have just probably saved 200 hours if, if I would ask a guy, dude, can you show me this? He's taking like one hour of his time and I, I would not have spent three months of my life doing uh, like that stupid stuff that I did. But yeah, like afterwards, it's 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 much easier to 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 argue in, in, in that way. Yeah, so this was was basically my start of um of of the solar era, basically. And that's usually what you get, right? You don't want to spend too much money, but usually then in the end you spend way more money. Also, if Ex you take in consideration, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. go cheap there, cheap there. I once heard an expression: uh, "Pay bananas, get monkeys." I find it makes a lot of sense. You know, you pay shit, yeah, you you, you don't get any good work because you get yeah, monkeys. Monkeys, yeah. monkeys don't do a good job. Yeah, uh, yeah, like like you said, valuable stuff. Yeah. It's valuable for a reason, so the price is higher for a reason. Yeah, I mean nowadays I can clearly see that, but back then when I had no clue, I, I figured that this is just absurd charging these amounts for 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 you know reasonable stuff. But you were not a professional back then, right? You were still at your finance job and doing this on the side. Right, right, right. So at that time, um, I, I think this was like maybe half a year before COVID came in where all these things started, where it was like grinding and studying a bit on the side. And then COVID hit and everyone was just working from home, basically. And from working from home and during COVID where the company was more in a crisis mode, there were new, no projects. And some sometimes even the regular tasks, they were delayed because there were more important things to do. Um, I had a lot of downtime. And at that point, I decided, yeah, it's time to to get Pios over because I was a bit tilted about my my GTO plus solution, and and I was still still not a hundred percent convinced that like my solution is hundred percent correct because just because it was GTO plus, and I had I was just clueless back then. So I figured, um, yeah, let's just you know get invest another four hundred dollars and get Pios over, and basically that was the time where where I started started studying like super deep in terms of just spending probably two to three hours per day at least first couple of months trying to run my own sims start playing trainers trying to understand spots and and so on what were like some of your first things that clicked for you in terms of understanding like you first had these apps i guess intuitively you maybe think like ah this doesn't really make sense then with gto plus as well weird solutions and then i guess the bio solutions also intuitively made more sense to you or were there like moments where you were like oh wow actually this makes a lot of sense uh, i think at the start it was just an overload of information honestly i i could look at solutions for like quite some time and ended up just clicking buttons when i was playing i just couldn't really process all the information and back then i i, I also also did not have this 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 thought process that i might have nowadays where i really want to understand or like i try to find for answers in spots i was just looking at the solution and then trying to copy that solution if that makes sense which is yeah you're trying to look at what, what what do i have to do here exactly exactly that that that, that was exactly what, what what happened back then and then you came and, to the conclusion oh the tree is quite big to remember what to do in every spot yeah 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 uh i was uh 
so that you made then a sort of conscious decision. Okay, I'm going pro. How did your uh, environment respond to that? I guess your your uncles were are your biggest fans now. <laughs> yeah, I mean they were always pretty supportive, even with the League of Legends part. Like they were kind of you know cheering me up to to do whatever I wanted or pursuing stuff that were kind of uncommon because I think they they could also see potential um, with all that stuff. Uh, my parents at the start. So the way it was, it was I was still working at finance or like working from home when, when COVID started. And basically the games and COVID, I think this was also like where I got really lucky in my career. This is where I started. I think at the start, I was playing 50 Zoom when, when, when COVID um, uh, came along and the games were so good that basically with like preferred ranges and some sort of strategy, you were winning. And then additionally to that, I think... I was running really, really pure, like now that I look back, because at 50 Zoom, I had a lot of days where I was just winning 10 buy-ins per day. I mean, I, play, I probably played like three to 4K hands on, on like a good day, which is quite a lot. But um, I think the first 100, 200,000 hands, I had to be sun running because I wasn't like a good player and I made a lot of money. And at that point, uh, <laughs> I was thinking, holy shit, like this, uh, you know, like I, I, I probably made somewhat equal amount of money in 100 zoom uh, as i had in like my regular job when i was running that good and this just went like the, the money just went up and up the, the, the bigger in stakes i went so like on 200 zoom it was uh, um, still higher and i did not really tell them that i wanted to go pro for like the longest period of time so for myself i already knew that this was this was a scenario or like a possible scenario in the future after doing this for like half a year or a year um but i really wanted to make sure that you know everything is safe everything is kind of secure and and i don't like just punt around because at the end of the day i would just give up like a decently paid job that is very secure for for a career where you know i could could have just sun run for 200k hands and the next 1 million hands, I find out that I'm a losing player and everything goes down the toilet at that point. Um, so you had like a certain awareness of like the luck involved. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you were aware that you could maybe have just been running good. Yeah, I mean... That, that's, I, that, that requires a lot of self-awareness. I think a lot of people are like, oh, apparently poker is my calling. I'm crushing all the pools. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I was... I try to be as rational as possible about about that matter and this was the first time I told my parents that you know I, I wanted to do that they did not know how much approximately that I made and they were like are you sure like you know you have like like I have, I have a secure and well-paid job and this this sounds like a bit dubious and stuff like that and I'm like yeah um you know if if I make the decision, just trust me that this is this is like a reasonable one. I'm not just you know out there gambling. Yeah, like so. I basically was just keeping it a secret until I knew I had one a reasonable enough amount in order to convince them that this is like because I did not want to give them any sort of troubles in terms of like them thinking about me and then having are being worried about me. If that makes sense, so. I think when I was um, playing close to 500 or like was playing 200 Zoom and then started playing 500, this is where the time that I told them that as soon as 
I have to go back to office, I will not <laughs> do that. Because at that point, I was still working from home and could play poker reasonably, like a reasonable amount of poker um, because of that. And they were like a bit perplexed at the start. And then I told them how much money that I made this year. And they were like, all right, that's that's an amount that, you know, is sounds reasonable. And then they were like still worried about like, is this sustainable? Like, is this just luck and so on? And I was like, um, back then, this I think I, this is what I filled out in. I had sort of the benefit of having this sort of safety net, always being able to go back to my job if that fails. So a lot of people do not have that opportunity. And when I had to go back to the office, when COVID, like everything was coming down and everyone was going back to, to regular stuff. Um, in Austria, you can choose to do some sort of educational year where you basically take one year out to educate yourself, whatever that might be, while still getting paid, I think it's around 60% of what 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 um, what you got um, as your normal salary. So I just had to pick some courses that I did throughout this year that are very low in effort that I could do on the site to basically use this as my trial year of being professional, a professional poker player. And this is what I told, like I told them, I'm just going to do this and then play poker, play poker on the side. And if it doesn't work out of the year, I can always go back. And I think this, this had a huge impact of them, you know, never being worried. Cause like there was always this, this kind of this secure feeling that, you know, if, if, if I'm just punting around and I'm, I'm losing all the money, uh, then I can still go back to my job and uh, have like normal life or like a regular life, so 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 to say. I, I, I this this story sounds very familiar. I remember when I when I told my parents, I first told my dad, and then my dad said, "Oh, your mom is gonna ask this, 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 this." So that's what you need an answer for. Like my dad, you know, he he was on board straight away, but he said, "Yeah, you have to convince your mother." And I remember my mother said, "Like." Uh, you have to give me black and white that you're going to go back to university. I said, like, uh, I couldn't find an internship. I said, okay, for the next uh, nine months or so, you know, I'll do this poker thing. Uh, but yeah, you're going to go back to university. Nine months later, I want a black and white. Yeah, yeah, sure. Nine months later, I was on a plane to Brazil, but uh, you know, <laughs> that, that didn't really, really work out. I, I'm curious, did you have any sort of like role model maybe that you could look up to or also that you could show your parents? Like, hey, listen, this is not just me inventing a job. Like there's various people I can show you uh that do this for a living you know and do very i well. mean not necessarily what helped is that my my uncles were like you know a little bit more into this kind of see not really seen but they they understood they were more easily to convince and that they, they, they knew that there were like a lot of poker players that make a good living from that so and they also how to say they, they always supported me that and they knew that if if i was saying that this this is a career that is smart to pursue then they would not judge my or like that they, they would not argue against it they, they, they would just um believe in what i'm saying and then um i think there was like some times where where there was like the whole family involved and we were discussing this and they were basically encouraging my parents and my father like you know this is fine like he's he's gonna be doing 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 okay and uh yeah that's that's basically how how every time you had to convince a little bit more and that at some point, um, I mean, especially like no nowadays, they, they, they are obviously very supportive with them. I can imagine this induced a lot more needles when you would play poker game with your family. Like, oh, you, you play your hand like that and you want to go pro? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> so, something along those lines. I know all these needles, man. I mean, all the poker players listening know yeah, all yeah. these needles that you get, you know? 
Hi guys, Renee aka The Wacko here with a quick Mechanics of Poker 2.0 announcement because we are currently open to receive 10 new players in our Mechanics of Poker coaching program. In our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player. Now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your EV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? And will you take one of the 10 available seats? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and apply for the program. And maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. Uh, Adam, I'm curious, how supportive was the your family when you said hey i'm off to bali i go play poker well i kept my secret for a while so i got a one-way flight to thailand with some friends which was disguised as traveling and i kept it as traveling for about eight or nine months and my mom kept ringing me going how oh, you got the money to travel i'm like oh don't worry i'm doing a few side hustle jobs made it work and then as like time went by she kind of cornered me it's like adam tell me what you're doing how you're funding yourself I was like, oh, I'm playing online poker. She's like, oh, is that it? I thought it was going to be something worse than that. And then, uh, yeah, luckily, <laughs> like, she's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she has high expectations of me. But then every year, obviously, I was going back to England quite often at that point. She was, like, showing me, like, cutouts from the newspaper. I don't know, these jobs are here. I had a university degree, so there was quite a lot of jobs in sports that were available. So pretty for two or three years, it was almost like, oh, this poker thing's going to play itself out. Then Adam will get a normal job. And, yeah, all my family were trying to push me into normal jobs. Then as time went on, and my kind of family realized that I could support myself. They got more and more supportive and more just like accepting. Like my family still don't really know much about poker, how it works, but they just know, they trust my judgment to be able to sustain myself and what I do. So yeah, similar to Joseph where they've got that trust that you're not an idiot and you're not making dumb choices. And at some point they better go, right, you're 25, 26 now, right? Do your own thing and hope it all works out. So yeah, that was kind of my kind of segue into it. So I'm really curious to hear about this transition year. So uh, I love the Austria culture. This is amazing that you guys get given an opportunity to educate yourself for a year. And that's a very awesome thing because obviously you get into work in your early 20s. You don't really know what you want to do. You don't know what skills you need and you can end up in a job for a long time. This kind of one year break gives you an opportunity by the sounds of it to get six months salary, but also to explore other options and educate yourself. Obviously for you, you decided, right, 
do something low effort and <laughs> play poker. I did the same. Uh, but at the same time, it gives you opportunities to, to explore options, which I think is really good at that age to explore what's next for you. So for yourself, you, you mentioned, which I think is so classic, this, this story happens, that as soon as you started playing professionally, or like you went pro this moment, that you went on the biggest downswing uh, of your life. And it was three to four month, months of not winning. And this really created a lot of self-doubt. So yeah, I want you to take us back to that point where you're now playing poker, trying to prove to your parents it's a good choice. And you're going to massive downswing for a number of months. Talk us through how you dealt with that. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, I'm still like surprised that I'm sitting here now, to be very honest, thinking back at that moment. Because um, I remember back then, I like, I think half a year prior, I first time like met my study partner where that I studied regularly with and we talked like basically every single day. And he knew that now that I, I I'm I'm now playing professionally at that point, and I was rolled to like my main stake that I was playing like 500, 200, and at that point taking shots at 1k if the game was good. And it was like like the a, a button just switched because everything was kind of alright. And then that month where I was not working like or I was like the first month that I was playing professionally so to speak, I was just getting absolutely demolished like every single day that I, I i woke up i just started my session and i just lost basically every pot that i was playing in in the worst fashion also and like nine out of ten pre-football ins i was behind the tenth time where i got it in good i lost like every time i had value i lost every time i bluffed i got caught it's just classic you know stupid downswing run and at the start, I was like, yeah, whatever. This is just bad variance. This is just bad variance. And I think the first couple of weeks, I was like, yeah, that, I mean, that's just part of the game. Um, have to deal with that, and that's fine. But the problem is it just didn't stop. So, like, the first two months were, like, really brutal, where I lost, like, in terms of bands, like, the most bands probably that I remember losing, like, in my entire career. And that was at 500 and sometimes even at 1K, which was, like, the highest stake that I played back then. And I got kind of worried. And I remember, like, I'm, I'm really not trying to, to whine about, like, bad beats and stuff and try to, like, not be emotional or, 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 or be mad or angry about the spot. But I really started to complain about how bad I run to, like, my study partner back then, I think, on a daily basis. It's like I woke up, I started my session, 10 minutes in, got cooler twice, I took screenshots, sent him, all right, here we go again. It's a it's another day of bullshit, and yeah, it happened that I think the first two months I lost quite a lot. The third month I was break even, and the fourth month I think I was basically break even, slightly losing. And I was like, this is not how do I do this? Like if if I don't have any other sort of income, and now I'm break even through the entire year. Because the way I see this is like I'm I'm not just looking in short terms where I think like I just want to live from month to month like in Austria they're living expensive especially like long term um, or like are fairly high or like somewhat reasonably high so if if I wanted to pursue this career I wanted to make sure that I make enough money that after 10 like 5 10 15 years of playing that I'm financially secure in order to do whatever I want whatever this may be later on so I didn't want to just go professional to to make a little bit more than my original job actually like when I started I had the goal of making double the amount in the first year and then I wouldn't go back this was kind of you know that money wise the goal although 
like I, I never really set myself money goals, but at that point, I really had to do that in order to measure it kind of after that year. Because my main goal was always and still is today to become basically the best poker player that, that I can personally be. And I remember then, yeah, this this four months that they were over. And at that point, I was like, all right, like after after this, this educational year is over, I'm going back to my job. Like, it's fine. Let's just enjoy the rest of the year and, uh, yeah, to try my best. And I was also highly debating, especially like in the second or third month in to join some CFP um, because I just couldn't really you know help myself at that point i figured that i'm playing okay i was studying infinite amounts at that point and i just didn't have any results to to kind of that the results they just didn't kind of reflect what i thought i was doing in order like being somewhat reasonable starting a lot constantly improving but still kept losing um that I considered joining like a CFP in order for them to help me. But then on the other hand, like most contracts are like two years and then I have to give away like half of my profits for the most parts for like two years. And I just couldn't see myself paying that, that amount in, if, if my goals were met, because obviously it was to move high up in stakes and make more money. And that would be like an absurd amount of money that I had to give away. So I decided to do against that. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to study the rest of the year and play the rest of the year as good as I can. And if things work out, then good. And But at that point, I really had low expectations of this actually happening. And out of nowhere, it's like I didn't change anything at that point. I changed nothing. At some day, I just started running really well. And everything worked out <laughs> it was like crazy it just like it it, it was the, the the button like switched back again and i started winning a lot of, like with all my values started making a lot of money in 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 the in in this month and then i remember back then like that the the money goal that was met including the losses that i had were basically i was losing break even for the first four months and then within like three months i had um, already hit the, the, the money goal that I, that I wanted, basically doubling the, which was insane at that. Like, I I did not even think myself that making this much money in, in that amount was possible. Obviously knowing that I just ran really well in in, 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 in this kind of period. So I, I, I would always put this into perspective where if I have a month where I make an absurd amount of money, I, I'm not just, yeah, I'm, I'm like the biggest crusher there is out there. I, I always like look at the bigger picture where as like, all right, what's, what's the average that I make over a year or like one and a half years or whatever. Wow. It's amazing how things can turn around so quickly. Yeah. And that's why I love about poker. You never know when it's going to turn around. And when you're down in the dumps and it's months and months and months of losing, it just feels like it's never going to turn around. Like you just, just doomed to fail. You just can't see the light in the tunnel. But you just keep at it. You keep that persistence. And it's almost like life's testing you. Life's like, keep going, keep being persistent. There's lessons to be learned here. So for yourself, like obviously things did turn around quickly uh, from that moment, but obviously it was like three or four months probably felt like hell. What are some of the lessons you learned from that? So I think it's probably, though it might have seemed at the time, probably a blessing in disguise to start your poor career this way because you went through a really tough patch. And then from there, it's giving you this real kind of good perspective, like things can get tough, be aware of it. So what are some of the lessons you feel like you learned for that, that first four months? Um, yeah, I think like this downswing was kind of obviously very tough, but a blessing if I look back now at that time, because 
every other downswing that came after that, even like the ones that the, the recent one that I have where I was just running really bad on the high, like the, was playing, let's say that there was at the end of last year where I was playing quite a decent volume of 5k and I was just running really, really bad. I lost the most amount of money that I have lost in my entire career, obviously because the stakes were so high, but in terms of buy-ins, it wasn't even close to, to the one that I, I had at the start. And looking back at the 10, like if, if you, if you try to be very reflective at that point or, or very rational about it, it's like, if you, if you look back, you know that this is determined to happen, but then you, you also have to trust in your abilities that everything you do is fine. And that it's going to turn around eventually. So like, I'm just going to be down like a lot of money, but then there is going to be months where I make infinite amounts. So it's, it's, it's going to even out. And I think have, having made the, or have made this experience when I started out was really great because when, when it happens nowadays, even on the highest stakes that I play, like if, if you're being rational about how many buy-ins this is and don't just look at the, the net value of the money. Um, yeah. I had, kind of no problems dealing with losing a lot i mean no problems is a bit harsh a bit stupid to say because obviously when you're down a bunch you're like man come on this is a lot of money and you know if i just didn't play like this last two months i would be a lot richer than i am now but you know to put this into perspective it's still like just in terms of variance it's it's just nothing and making this experience at the start was was really nice obviously because now nowadays whatever happens or like whenever there's like bad periods. I, I can just look back and I'm like, look, started off bad. And we know like after a big enough sample or like at least like, let's, let's put, put it like every, every time I'm on a downswing, like recently, I just look at my entire sample and I'm just convincing myself, look, I have X million hands with this kind of win rate. There's no way that I am losing in these games that, I, that I'm playing. And worst case, I, I just have to start, especially in downswings, like just start game selecting a bit more rather than just battling the boys on on stars um, for <laughs> for for my main source of uh, of uh, volume. Mm -hmm. I've heard you mention perspective a number of times already in this conversation, and I can tell it's a skill of yours where you're able to put things in a context quite well or quite easily in terms of seeing the bigger picture. You're able to see that one downswing doesn't lead to a, a prolonged downswing. You can see like even zooming out, look at your full graph and seeing a downswing is just. Uh, kind of X amount of buy-ins that you're losing at this moment, but doesn't reflect the long-term. And I think this potentially helps you to stay confident during times where other players might freak out because it feels like you're able to keep going and keep uh, progressing even when things get tough. So uh, I want to seg segue this into uh, your game selection. And you mentioned that you spend a lot of your time playing three to four-handed. I think you mentioned in our questionnaire, you spend, you play with 60% of your volume against regs which is very interesting in terms of a uh, strategy, but it kind of fits for what you've already told us in terms of you want to be the best version of yourself you can be. So uh, first of all, what are some of the benefits in terms of your progression of going for kind of playing, playing good opponents strategy? And how do you maintain your confidence when you're going head to head with some of the, the better players? Yeah, so like my main goal or like the, the main reason why I do that is in order to not start being lazy and constantly improve my game basically and what sometimes is a bit <laughs> well, a bit difficult is there is like two to three tables where i play against really really good players three and four handed just shorthanded and then i have three to four tables where it's like a, a huge spot plus 
two to three guys that only bump hunt and are fairly weak. And the games that are being played on these two tables is a completely different one. Like it's it's not even comparable. So sometimes it's it, it it's it's a bit taxing to to do that. Um because on the one hand you you trying to execute a super solid strategy in order to not be exploitable and try to push very, very small edges. Where on the other table you're basically getting gifted money by every single table of the player and you're just it's kind of two extremes where on the one hand you're just trying to be super solid on the other hand you on the on the table you're super out of line versus a lot of people because you know that they have infinite leaks in their game um yeah and that that's basically like why why i keep or like how to say like in terms of strategy it's like the way i see this is you need to have this sort of now like getting a bit deeper into it the the gto kind of approach where you need to have a this is at least like how I see things that you need to have a very good foundation, which is the GTO based game. So like you need to understand how a spot is supposed to be played in the equilibrium, in order to then make adjustments when you play against weaker player. And this is like you start from learning against the best players, kind of. You you learn this equilibrium strategy. You know how to play when you play against the bot or like the solver. Or in that case, hum humans that try to play a reasonable game, and from that point on, you can try to, in terms of like node locking or whatever, lock ho however you want to do that, you can try to deviate in your strategy when you think or you know that people have leaks in terms of like this guy knows is doing this too much. Like, what is the reasonable response or the deviation from your strategy? Hmm. Yeah. So creating a strong GTO framework almost builds the baseline of your game and you build that stronger or better by playing strong opponents that teaches you the kind of fundamentals at a higher level. And then from there, that allows you to exploit the players who are not playing at that standard or making mistakes around that. So in terms of, I want to double down on the question around confidence. How do you keep your confidence high when you're playing tough opponents? Let's say it's a different player pool. Let's say you made mistakes. You've obviously, we're going to talk about your rise for the stakes very quickly. Yeah. Let's say you're playing a, a tough player pool. It's maybe five Ks or 10 Ks. It's really tough players, some of the best players in the world, and you're going to sit against those three or four handed and battle it out for a period of time. How do you keep your confidence? So how do you go into those games mindset-wise so uh, you don't get obliterated mindset-wise? Yeah, so I think when I get into those games, like usually I'm well prepared. When when I know that I play only Rex, I look at the database that is available for me in order to find out how they think about the game or how they approach the game. Because a good player, like all the good players do not have the same, uh, the exact same approach. So like everyone has sees things a bit differently. And it's basically in my job prior to find out whether this guy thinks that way and that guy thinks that way, and then find to find solutions in order to at least keep up with their strategies, so to speak. So this is kind of like when I, when I join into a game, so either I have this learning process of someone beating me and then like he deserves my money basically if he has a better strategy than mine or I am prepared enough or like I am so convinced that my capability of playing against these guys would at least break me even that, that I can still play. Like I never get into a game and I'm either, <laughs> let's put it like that, I either know that there's a chance of me being slightly losing in whatever lineup that might be and when I enjoy this game, I am probably conscious that this could be the case, but that's still fine for me. I'm just trying to play to the best of my ability, knowing that there could be uh, could be a scenario where I'm losing here. But for the most part, I'm just fairly confident that I'm at least not losing in 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 most of the lineups that I play. 
Mm. Yeah, it's a very interesting mindset. I think it allows you to uh, do one of two things, either go in there with a, a learning mindset that you're going to learn and improve, or you're going to win. It's like learn or, learn or win kind of approach, but also like you're, you have high confidence that even if you're losing, there's, there's lessons here. There's lessons to be learned here. Exactly. I think this is a, a good, like it's a, a great mindset. And a lot of players struggle with this because they almost like challenge themselves to always be in a lineup they can win. And when they're not winning, all of a sudden it really uh, challenges their ego, their identity. For example, for you to go into a game where you're potentially a losing player, it sounds like that's quite easy for you. It's like, all right, cool. I'll learn some lessons off some great players. Let's, let's play it. But for some players that would be crippling. They'd be like, oh, I might not be as good as these. Nah, I'll avoid those games. So uh, I'm interested in all your approach to risk-taking and how this impacted your career. So uh, I can say from a higher level, your kind of main objective is to uh, be the best player you can be. And it's not money-oriented. It's not so so much um, externals. It's more an internal pursuit of being better, which leads you to play tougher lineups than other players might do. So yeah, when you take on risks or like say you move with buy-ins or you uh, uh, yeah put some of your bankroll on the line, how do you approach taking risks and what are some of the things that's, that's impacted you? Yeah, so, I mean, to begin with, this is probably an important aspect of why I can do the things that I do that's like that I'm probably a huge bankroll net compared to like other guys. So if, if I'm if I'm playing these rag battles, I have at least 100 buy-ins most of the times more. So I don't really bother with with kind of variance. And if, as I stated earlier, if, if I'm like on, on, on a sick downswing, there might be days where I would just, you know, skip the rack battles just because I've kept losing and I just don't need to donate additional money, especially like on the downswing when when you might not be playing your A plus game, more like A minus game or B game. Um, and I think I'm taking, in terms of the variance, I'm just trying to be aware of the fact that when I play these games, there's going to be 40, 50 buy-ins. 60 buying swings that are completely normal and I'm willing to lose that or win that or break even or whatever and, and that's fine for me. I think it would be fairly unreasonable if if you were playing these kind of games with with a bankroll management that would not even cover the variance that could possibly hit you. I, I think even people are, are not aware of how much variance there or like a lot of people are not aware of how much variance there is in, in those games where you're either break even, one BB winning, half a BB winning, even two BB winning. Like if you're playing three-handed, like stacks are just flying around basically, and you you could potentially lose lose quite a lot. So I think that you having a very reasonable bankroll in order to do that is is key because I can see myself if if I you know if I if, if I lose a lot a big part of my bankroll doing that, and then I would have to move down. I don't would or I would feel mentally very bad about what I did and about the entire situation. And I think this could stress me out even more. So my policy is kind of at least 100 buy-ins if like there is no recreational on the table. And even with like recreations on the table, I still tend to to keep it to 100 buy-ins because I just don't want to deal with the fact that I just lost 20% of, of my bankroll. Like it's just, it, it's kind of, even though this might not be the highest EV in terms of the upside. So let's say I could potentially sometimes hop in to 10K games more often, even shot like a 20K game if it's like really good. But I just don't want to deal with like all the emotional stress at this point when, when I'm making like a very reasonable amount of money. And my main goal is to become like the best possible player rather than making the most, most amount of money at that time.
When we first jumped on this call today, I did not think I would hear you say that you're a bankroll net, how fast you've moved up stakes and the kind of stakes you're playing so quickly. I thought, if anything, you would have been very aggressive, like with your bankroll and taking shots <laughs> on like a low bankroll. So it's really interesting to hear that you've had this very uh, sensible, conservative approach, but still moved super quick, like way quicker than almost anyone else we spoke to. So I like the mindset. So basically, you were saying you wanted, like, you were almost conditioning yourself that you could go on a 30 or 40 buy and swing before you, you jumped up stakes. And then that's very important because you're acknowledging variance, regardless if you're when you're it's small or, or you're slightly losing player, it's part of the very the, the games and it's gonna happen sometimes. So if you're not willing to lose 30, 40 buy-ins, eh, don't don't take that shot right now. Bump in a bit more, play the stakes you're playing. It's not the right opportunity right now. So uh, I think now that's a really good kind of level out to make sure, okay, am I ready to move up? Yes, no, yes or no. Can I tolerate losing 40 buy-ins? Yes, okay, I'm ready. Other players have a different approach. I've spoke with many players who do this kind of aggressive shot taking where they'll have a five or 10 buy-in shot taking the highest stakes. If they lose that, move back down. Then five or 10 buy-ins, lose it, move back down. The challenge with that is you're constantly going between stakes and you're almost like very results oriented because you need a good start. If you don't get a good start, back down. Don't get a good start, back down. Whereas your approach allows you to play a lot of volume at those stakes. I'm guessing losing 30, 40 buy-ins, like if you're playing those games, it could take a while, even with some um, bad variants. So you get a, a sample size built up, but also you're in a comfortable position bankroll wise, but you don't need to panic. You don't need to worry about to make a good results. And if for you, because your mindset and your overall approach is to get better, if you're breaking even in a tougher player pool, you're probably loving it. You're like, oh, great. This is awesome. Free training against these, these great guys. Yeah, that's true. Also, what I think, uh, something to add on that is, I, I think it's just, I mean, I've, I guess some people can do that. I personally couldn't do that myself, taking a shot with 20, 30 buy-ins, for example. Let's say I wanted to join a 10K game and I only had, you know, 50 buy-ins. I, I, I just couldn't justify myself putting me into the game because I know myself that I would not make the best possible decision in, in every possible situation. Because there's this, the, the money that's at stake just means so much to me in that moment. And it's so important at that point that I would probably not be able to play my A game. And this is basically my main criteria of playing. Like if I know I'm getting in there, I don't care about, let's say I, I play like 5K game, two, three, 5K tables. And I know if, if I lose 10 binds, you know, it's kind of whatever, like that's fine. Then, you know, you're in the right mindset to, 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 to play these kind of games. At least this is how I approach the game. Because I, I remember back then when I started playing 5K, I, I, I think it was in the first couple of sessions, I, I was in spots like in, in freeway pots where I just had to like, you know, a decent bluff on the river. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Let's, let's put it in and go down with the ship. Got snapped off by the nuts. And I'm like, yeah, that's 10K for you. Let's, uh, let's hope that uh, we get aces next hand. <laughs> this is kind of <laughs> how, how I think about it in that moment. And I don't think you can do that if, if you take these shots aggressively also uh, although i think that in some game when games are so good that the upsides are way bigger than the downsides it would make sense to shot take aggressively mm -hmm. yeah i like that because basically you're acknowledging that it's not as simple as just like playing the buy-in there's an emotional impact of your decision making based on how much money is on the line and although you might try to separate yourself from that if bankroll considerations are a big deal to you or it's somewhat risking your bankroll to a degree, it's very hard to just play your best poker, to make that kind of a ballsy play on the river and bluff off a stack in a higher buy-in, and you'll find yourself making deviations in your normal game, which could be costly. So like I said, yeah, like unless the opportunity is very good, and it's a very good kind of game selection opportunity to play higher, yeah, it's going to create challenges with that kind of small bankroll approach. So yeah, I think your approach is, yeah, spot on, to be honest. All right, I, mean, I want to ask about your 
the speed of your rise for the ranks. So uh, it's kind of debated like how quick you could rise to high stakes. And obviously we all have 24 hours in the in the day. So uh, it's very hard to like obviously get more time. So for you to rise so quickly, you've obviously done a lot of things very well. You've always been very effective with your time. Just the way you spoke about getting into solvers, I can tell like as soon as you found out how effective they were, you went really deep into how to use them effectively. So I'm really interested to uh, for you to walk us through a day in the life of you going when you're a professional and you're moving up stakes. Maybe like in your kind of, Kind of peak progression years when you're moving quickly. Uh, talk us through like how you would spend your time and how you were uh, optimizing your studying in order to uh, yeah get better day to day. Yeah, so I mean, probably have to add that I was very, I guess I was very lucky with like the people that I connected with throughout my career because like everyone that I got involved with in terms of studying and and working together, I think they helped me quite a lot in terms of whether it's like some technical stuff in bio, how to run scripts, how to run reports, how to interpret that stuff, doing preflop sims and so on. I was very lucky to to meet, probably meet the right people at the right time to exact or most of the times just get, you know, that thing that I needed at that point. And then additionally, I, I would just assume that I also ran really well through that time because I've, as you said, like, I, I'm not aggressively shot taking and and I just moved up in stakes rather quickly. Although to be fair, this this was never my kind of the, the goal that I had to move up that quickly. It just happened basically. You know, like I, I was just playing day after day and then I saw my bankroll rising and went, okay, and like now it's time to to take some shots on, on that stake and just a, a progress that happened. And I guess in the peak perform or like the peak progress time, the way a day looked like was a lot of poker for me. It was usually that I was playing a session in the morning. Like this is my was my like this is still nowadays how 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 my schedule looks like that I always play in the morning as or like that my main time where I play is is the morning time till like uh, maybe like afternoon. Um, then I had a break where I either. You know, went to the gym, did some sports, had some food, just some free time. And then at that time, I was basically with my study partner back then having this routine of just playing either um, the GTO trainer, just looking at, at at aggregated reports of something, just trying to, or having a structured way of getting through spot by spot to in order to have a strategic strategical understanding of like how things are being played. And this is what we continuously do it probably five to six days per week where we might have an average of three to four hours of, of, of studying uh, um, per day in a week. And that was might not have been enough at that time because I most of the times if I had nothing to do in the evening, I played another session for like two or three hours. So I think at the peak time, I might have spent at least 60 to 70 hours with poker related stuff in uh, per week. Yeah, nice, hardcore. So you mentioned um, a structured way to, to learn in spots. And I think this is speaking with a lot of players who uh, are trying to study poker and get better. They often feel like they're kind of dragged around by lots of things to, to work on and they don't have that structured approach. So um, without sharing all your secrets, how do you uh, go around like structuring your studying? So it sounds like you and your study partner had a real almost like curriculum of things you're going through in terms of how to understand spots better, how to apply them. Did you, first of all, what made you think to go that approach to study in? And how did you and your friends uh, yeah, create a structure to study in poker? Yeah, so we shared a very similar philosophy, which was trying to 
have a very simple but good game tree that we could execute. Not like using four sizes every street where you already on the turn, you don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, so what we've done is we categorized basically boards that we think could be strategically um, similar and then made our customized game trees for this board and just solved every single board for, for this category. And, and what we've done is uh, we did this for, for all the spots that we found was relevant and then just started working on spot after spot after spot. So we probably had a week where we said, we now do the King High boards. We just wanted to have a, a general assumption or a general knowledge of how much is the sea bedding here, how much is the defending part and so on, just to, to have an approximate guess. And obviously back then we were really kind of nerdy about that stuff because what we did, we were not playing spots in the solver. We were playing filtered nodes. So at one day we would just play two hours of seabedding aboard. The other day we would play two hours of defending versus the seabed. Next day we would play the turn strategies and so on. Like this, this was basically how, how we approached spots. So we probably got maybe one strategic like, like let's say one bucket per week. And we've been doing this for probably an entire year and never got finished with all the spots that we wanted because it was so detailed. And back then we also had this approach that you know we tried to mimic what the solver does, not understanding where a lot of the EV really came from. <coughs> Thinking that you know the GTO solution is the best possible solution, which nowadays I would disagree in a lot of cases. Um, but yeah, this, this is basically how we did. So we were, <laughs> we were very detailed about what, what we did and, and, and very precise, which ended up in probably so much information that two months later, you probably forgot half of the stuff that you did on, on the spot two months prior, because there was just so much data and information process. It was impossible, but I mm. think it, it, the benefit was the spots that you were working through that precisely you had a really good understanding of, of how this spot is supposed to be played. Obviously, you can't recall every single combo and so on, but you, you, you get the idea of what does your CBNX strategy looks like, how does your value look like, what does your, what is the best bluffs, and, and so on. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like you, first of all, simplified the game tree, created spots where you thought would come up frequently or simplified boards. And then you try to create like a, a plan you could execute, a strategy you could execute well. And then you almost like really into the details of playing that spot over and over and over after repetition. So you understood the nuances of that spot. So uh, yeah, it sounds like a very detailed breakdown of playing them. Like you said, like obviously you might now go more into understand the solvers rather than try to replicate them. But that time I'm sure that kind of repetition of going that deep, that detailed on spots still now, it's probably, oh yeah, I'm glad we did that kind of learning curve because now we've spent a year going super deep on all these spots. We understand so much about... Yeah, the nuances of the game that other players might not have gone deep on. Because I think a lot of players skim a lot. They skim the surface. They don't go that depth. For you, watching one, one seabed spot over and over for two hours, every day I just imagine like, the repetition of that, knowing that that's all you're going to do today. Just watch your seabed, seabed, seabed. So uh, it shows like, uh, yeah, kind of a, a detailed mindset, but also a, a wanting to be able to execute well. I'm guessing there was a, this was a, coming from a need to, uh, to want to learn to execute the strategy at a high level. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned during your League of Legends day that at some point you were sleeping, I think you said, four to five hours and I was burning out. 
I'm wondering that when you approach poker, I think you're probably in your mid twenties, obviously when you're late, late twenties, when you're kind of pursuing poker, maybe you've learned some lessons by then, but how did you approach poker with some balance so that you didn't burn out? Cause for you, obviously you're moving up stakes very quickly. And I think often there's a tendency for players to almost push it too hard and almost like, yeah, hit that kind of burnout point by not sleeping, by basically not having that light balance. So for yourself, is there anything you've done to kind of create some balance for yourself as you've been working really hard, pushing these 70 hour weeks to, uh, to pursue your poker goals? Yeah. So I, at the start, I was probably investing in a lot of time, but I also had a lot of free time, especially at that point where I started playing professionally because there was nothing else to do. Um, what I really try to incorporate is always having sports and like a gym routine, you know, in order to have some some sort of um, balance in life, not only just spending the entire day in front of a computer. And I also still play uh, video games occasionally because I just enjoyed it. And something that probably sums this up perfectly is throughout this career there was like a very brief moment where me and my study partner back then were thinking that cash with like all the future with like all the rta the liquidity problems and stuff like that might be a bit problematic and we saw opportunity in entities and started doing the same thing with entities just solving the spots and trying to learn whatever and trying to switch to entities and at that time i think it was like during scoop I picked off two, uh, I wanted to grind the entire scoop as good as I could. Two weeks in, I had to stop. Because like I was playing from afternoon or evening till like five or six in the morning every day. And I just felt like crap. Like the sleep was bad. My health situation was probably like not bad, but I, I just didn't feel like super healthy and fit when I woke up. And I was like, nah, this, this is not for me. I, I can't do that. And we quickly we're throwing this out of the window because this lifestyle was just not sustainable and this is also why nowadays or like probably the last one and a half years to two years like my main schedule is just playing uh, i'm waking up um getting ready to play setting everything up so like probably an hour after i wake up i start my session i don't really set an alarm like because usually i just wake up between eight and ten depending on when, when to go to sleep and i don't have that strict schedule so to speak so Whenever I wake up, I prepare myself to grind, then grind X amount of hours till the games are bad or I decide to leave. Um, usually then either have food, go to the gym, come back and then have like either a study session, whether whatever is planned on the afternoon or meet some friends, do some, some different sports or play some video games. So I'm trying to have like a very balanced, balanced lifestyle where I don't invest every single free moment into poker anymore at this point. And then occasionally, if I really don't have anything planned and there is like, and I don't feel like playing video games, I might play uh, another session in the evening, but this probably happens maybe like five, four to five times per month. Even though this might not be the highest EV in terms of like the, how the action is, as long as I make a decent amount of money doing this while maintaining this lifestyle, I'd rather sacrifice whatever win rate this might be in order to to live a somewhat balanced life and 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 feel good about it yeah and also like the long-term sustainability for you the goal is to be as good as you can be the best version of yourself and that's gonna be a long progression so uh, for you you don't want to like cap out in one year and burn yourself out you want to be playing yeah. two years five years ten years in the future so it's yeah. almost this 
kind of slow and steady. I say slow and steady, you're doing 70 hour weeks, so that's pretty hard to go for some. But it's very thought out in terms of the balance you have in your days, going to the gym, uh, playing the morning schedule, going to bed in the evenings and not like grinding for the nighttime. I'm sure occasionally you'll stay up later than you want to. But yeah, I think for yourself, you can create that nice balance where from the outside, you're working very hard. But also for yourself, you're like, ah, I can do this every day. I'm sustainable here. This right. is not, this is good for me. So yeah, really good. You found that kind of that kind of group for yourself. It looks like that MTT experience maybe showed you, ah, this is how not to do it for, me, for you personally. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to all the MTT grinders out there who grind crazy, crazy hours until four in the morning. And yeah, I've got to get up and do it all again. But yeah, for yourself, the, the morning schedule sounds like it works really well. All right, I want to transition into, uh, you mentioned that, that you've al- always found the right people at the right time, which I think is very interesting to know uh, Who's, who's had a big impact on your career? So obviously the last three years, you've rose up the stakes very quickly. Who have been some like role models? You mentioned study partners, any coaches, or a bit of inspired you to uh, progress the speed you have. Anyone who comes to mind? I mean, there's like, apart from my study partners that I still study with nowadays, I, I never had a coach or someone that I, so to speak, look up to. Obviously I was railing, you know, the high stakes games every now and then and was very interested in and everyone like knows the likes of Linus and would be great to be in his shoes at some point if that, yeah, but that's like not the goal for me. So like, this is not the, not the, not, not the thing that I want to achieve. I mean, it, it would be great if that happens, but uh, no, yeah. or trying to stay humble and realistic. Um, yeah. So I didn't really have like role model specifically, but I think the guys that I connected with throughout my career just, uh, yeah, basically boosted my kind of capability of playing poker. And basically, I think the way that I approach it and the mindset that I have where when I see someone else or, or like when, when, when I connect with someone else and I discuss with someone else and this guy has a different opinion, like there's a lot of guys that you know are so set with what they think and they are so convinced with about what they write, which you know in poker is most of the times just completely wrong. Um, every time someone gave a different opinion, and we were having a study session, there's probably like that day if I'm at the gym, I might think about what he said maybe like one hour through. Like I'm just trying to kind of work out like his approach and how he how he got to the point and like understanding his position and then trying to incorporate that stuff. If that makes sense into my game, I think boosted basically, or like made my, my, my development way quicker than it could have been without or on myself or certainly uh, would have been without my, if I was working on it with myself. Yeah, I think the, the best learners who absorb the most are often very open-minded and they take on other people's opinions and they try to incorporate them into their way of thinking. Whereas other people, most people in honesty, are quite close-minded. They will have a viewpoint and they'll just try to defend that viewpoint. It sounds like for yourself, you've had this kind of ability to uh, be very confident in your game. The way you've spoke, I can tell you, uh, if, if someone's chatting strategy with you, you're going to have a very confident line of where you what you think. But at the same time, you're open-minded. You can take in other interpretations of strategy, other people's perspectives, and you think them through. Like you said, being in the gym, thinking over what somebody else said for an hour and how you can think like them, that's that's showing that you're trying to absorb their, their knowledge and yeah, you're very open-minded to that, which is, yeah, a superpower when it comes comes to learning. Yeah, especially to poker, because at the end of the day, nobody knows anything about the game, really. You know, like everyone is just sitting there clicking buttons. It's just, you have to be less of a button clicker than the, the other guy and you, you're you're basically winning. Um, 
how to win a poker, become less of a button clicker than your opponent. <laughs> You're right. That's uh, that's yeah. essentially what it is about. Yeah. You, you mentioned you had a study partner who you studied with for a year, and this seems like a very beneficial relationship both, both ways. And I'm, I'm thinking a lot of players listening to this will be like, oh, I wish I had a player or someone I could study with consistently who holds me accountable, who I can charge strategy with. Was there any kind of, well, what were the pros and cons of that? So if you guys are meeting up most days, talking talk strategy, what were some of the benefits of having a regular study partner? And was there any kind of conflicts in terms of if you wanted to study different things, maybe disagreeing on topics and find it hard to come to a certain lines of strategy? No, I think, I mean, this probably also where I was pretty lucky is that I really connected with most people that are very like-minded, which means that they're very open-minded. So they're, they're, they're always have been open discussion, but there has never been any sort of arguments about anything. So this is basically what I experienced is like the best players that I connected with, you know, everyone knows that they know nothing about the game in terms of like, they, they just... The game is so complex, it's impossible to have it figured out. It's impossible to know everything about every single spot. And the best players that I connected with is like when we do a study session, like I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, maybe we do this, maybe we do this. And the other guy's like, I have no clue. Maybe this is good. Maybe this is good. And what I often see with people that are playing on like lower stakes or, or having discussions, especially in some sort of communities and discords, they have so strong opinions about some stuff when, you know, I'm playing... 10 times the stakes the day they were even higher and i'm sitting here dude like not even i or like even the guys that i studied with or myself would could not make such a strong opinion about the spot because it's not so clear and these guys just sitting there saying yeah this is that or this is that and i think this is where connecting obviously helps but you have to be very open-minded open-minded and connect with people that actually you know share that kind of attitude because if, if, if you're working with someone that always says, you man, look at this guy, this guy's so bad and he did this and and your play was super bad because this guy never bluffs you, whatever it might be. Like if it's just so strong opinions that you cannot argue against because this guy is so convinced like he's not going to help you improve and and you're, you're just not going to progress any further. So I think connecting with the right people at the right time and I think this is, you have to be lucky on one hand. On the other hand though, you probably con uh, contribute yourself a little bit towards that. So if you're very open-minded towards the other guy, I think he's way more likely to open his mind up too and be very open about spots and discussions. Whereas if you go in there and like, man, this was so terrible, like, how can you do this? And this was very bad. And here you made a mistake. Probably the response is not going to be super great, even when someone might be more of an open-minded person. Yeah, I think that like like-minded people attract other like-minded people. And if you've got that kind of closed-minded view where you're kind of almost stressing your, your way of playing, you're complaining about spots, and you do have a conversation with a, another player like yourself, very quickly you'll be like, eh, we don't align, this isn't going to work out, but we have one chat together, and then the relationship kind of fizzles out. Whereas you've been able to find players who have been very open-minded like yourself. And you mentioned um, the best players know they know nothing. It's very interesting. Like it's as I, as I look at experts in most fields, it's generally the experts at the very highest level who are willing to go, uh, there's so much we don't know. We're, we're just trying to figure it out. We're just trying to 
do the best we can with the information we have, but there's still a lot of unknowns. And I think having that kind of beginner's mindset allows you to keep learning, keeps that novelty. And yeah, it's amazing how many players are like in the lower stakes who think they figured it out, who will be telling them, oh, you do this, you do that. And then the guys, the higher stakes who actually figured a lot out, they're like, oh, we don't really know. We're just trying, we think this might be effective, but we're open to the ideas. It's just such an interesting kind of thing to think about where the best guys having conversations are like, we don't know. And then the lower guys are like really blunt on their points. So yeah, really interesting. Rene, how about yourself? You, you've obviously studied with a lot of players and you're a very open-minded guy. How do you feel like, uh, yeah, kind of conversing with players who are open-minded helps to uh, progress your, your thinking? I mean, I've been in poker a long time and I think that's the quality that you need to have because else you're not in poker for a long time. I think people who are very close-minded, they probably, yeah, they were close-minded. They weren't open to new strategies and yeah, they couldn't beat the games anymore at some point. Uh, throughout my career, like there were various phases where I was very ahead of the curve. Like the way Joseph said, I made less mistakes than the amount of mistakes they made, right? I was also shit, but I was less shit than them. Uh, and then there were maybe there was maybe a year in my career where I kind of slipped off and was making more mistakes than they were making. So that doesn't, doesn't mean that they were gods. They were still making a lot of mistakes, but I was just making a bit more mistakes than them. So I think then this is just uh, yeah, kind of kind of natural in 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 your poker career. Uh, I'm I'm very curious though. Why do you think uh, it is that players do that, Adam? That 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 they're so close-minded. Is it that they cannot like accepting the fact that they don't know will make them insecure? I think it's ego and. We hold, we hold on to certainty. So one of the kind of human drives is to have certainty, to know what is predictable and what's coming next. So if we have a lot of knowledge and we can predict things, it gives us a level of certainty and security that allows us to feel confident in what we're doing. If we remove that and we go, I don't actually know, that creates this whole uncertainty that we don't like. Humans don't like uncertainty. So we try to create boxes, like almost like, box in some certainty if we can, and that, that blocks us from learning. So uh, the ego creates these constructs and tries to create this kind of closed identity, but also uh, we try to get kind of close off anything that's uncertain and kind of create some boundaries that allow us to predict the future so uh, yeah, we can make better decisions. So it's actually, it's very brave to uh, when someone to not know. Like, but you play poker for a living, you, you, you guys, it's very brave to go, uh, I don't actually know how to play the spot. It's like, really? You, you're going to make, you're going to play a spot for a lot of money here. Are you sure you don't know? It's like very... Oh, yeah, it's a difficult like um, kind of mindset for a lot of people in body, especially like lower stakes guys, because they would rather have a lot of confidence in a strategy and double down on that and then they can act from that. So yes, I think those are the main variables. Yeah, I've definitely been through phases where you feel that response like, oh shit, actually there's still so many things that I don't know and that you lean towards the side of, okay, well then I guess I have to study my ass off, look to every spot, try to figure everything out, which is, you know, it, 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 it's just impossible. Like just for what I said, the game is so complex. And it's mainly in, I would say, sort of surrendering and accepting the fact that you don't know, but luckily no one knows. That's like, I think, where, where you know, like you can find some sort of peace, if that's the, if that's the right word. Uh, I was listening carefully to, to your conversation. I thought one thing that was interesting is that when you said that, I, I changed nothing, uh, but then, you know, I suddenly went into an upswing. That was at the moment that you were considering quitting. But... Throughout when you said that, it was quite interesting because you actually, I thought actually something did change or at least listening to you saying it because you were saying it like I sort of already accepted that, okay, I'm going back to my job. There was a certain acceptance, I think. Maybe, you know, this maybe had a small part. Obviously, you know, wrong, wrong good happens. But you know, that it's also like, yeah, well, you know, I'll just go back to my job. And that I think relieves a lot of the, the pressure, so to speak. 
I don't know if yeah. you can. This, I, this was I, just something that I heard. Of I mean, that could certainly be the case that you know, I, I, at some point where I basically had the chances of me being a professional poker player were lower than going back to the job, that I kind of was, you know, uh, a bit of relieved where, in terms of I, I could just you know, play a bit more freely than if I exactly. was playing like if it to, works to, to, out, to win. It works out, if it doesn't, yeah, fine. Right, right, yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, I can imagine your situation, you're really forced, okay, I have to make this, you know, that can put a certain pressure yeah, that yeah. can maybe, you know, in certain decisions show up, you know, obviously it might be a small part, but just something interesting. Yeah, that's, I think that could certainly uh, play the role in that. Um, uh, you also yeah. talked, you guys also discussed like uh, battling a lot, I've played I don't know how many hands, a lot of battles in my life as well. You said a lot of good things. I think aligning expectations is very important. Not that if you lose 10 buy-ins, you're like, what the fuck is going on? I thought I was ahead. No, that you realize this, this, this is just part of the swings. But I think also you mentioned going in studied. And this was also actually, I think, something that George mentioned in the podcast, like knowing where the EV comes from. Obviously, knowing like, where do my opponent have certain leaks? Where is the money flowing to me? This gives you a certain confidence regardless of the results. But also in terms of preparing yourself for what is going to happen. Like you said, some people play different strategies. It cannot really be that you play a battle versus guys who you're going to play against a lot. And then they suddenly do a lot of stuff and they're like, oh, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, you understand if you play a battle, yeah, yeah. you kind of know like, okay, these guys have these tendencies. They play these type of strategies. I need to be prepared for that. Like, right. so if you're too often in a, in a battle against a guy like oh i didn't see that coming oh i didn't see that coming you might feel you know you, i think you leave more room to doubt yourself if that makes sense yeah i think that's true i think the only guy that probably triggers this kind of emotion is stefan because like he's yeah doing, you, he's you, all you over cannot prepare place. but to be fair he yeah yeah, yeah every, every day he does something different uh which is which is actually very very cool about poker because like you know you can you can you can come up with various strategies, you know, that have similar EV. It's always like the execute, how you execute your strategy will kind of d determine your EV. So you can actually say, okay, one day I'm going to show up, play this strategy. And the next day I'll show up, play the other strategy. And then your opponent's like, huh? Yeah, right. I, I, I thought I had to figure <laughs> it out, right? This is probably, you know, a sort of element of surprise that I think Stefan also thinks sees, sees a lot of value in and just every day show up and like okay let's see how they react to this yeah he's, he's playing future poker you know it's like yeah, in chess it, it, you just have I, different I, I, I openings uh, and uh, it, then you just uh, you wake up and you're like this day i played this strategy this day like he's prepared six different openings and that's how he plays yeah that's next level i think it was munis who said listen i studied uh i, I studied stefan five times and then every time I thought I had to figure out, and he just started to do something completely different. Yeah, it's, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is indeed uh, uh, very rough. Another very good point that you made that made me remember the podcast we did with Jarebman, where he said uh, the conclusion was, have more money or problem solved. That's kind of also the vibe that I got. Yeah, just have a bigger bankroll, no stress, you know? Yeah. But yeah, obviously, that's, that's true. like, how can you get a bigger bankroll? And then... Adam indeed assumed like, oh, you probably were aggressive in shots, but then you actually said, no, I'm a big bankroll nit. So then probably one of your skills was volume. And you did say that when you explained like your, your journey, right? You managed to be very consistent in putting in the volume. Yeah. I was this just probably also like, yeah. Showing up basically every single day where, where I could it was like, and until today, I still enjoy just getting up and battling and grinding it out every single day. Although I have to say that nowadays where, you know, the games are 
because back of the day, 200 zoom was always running. It was not a big uh, deal to find a lot of action of on 500 on like GGE and stars and like different sites. If if you play almost exclusively exclusively 1K plus, especially in mornings, it might be a bit rough, even with the GGE current situation to find a lot of games. So therefore, maybe nowadays like this month and uh, this month specifically, like the volume might be low. Um, but um, in general, I, I still show up every day and probably play quite a reasonable amount of volume compared to the other guys that are playing, or like most other guys that play in the stakes that I play. Yes, this is very important for the audiences. And if you struggle putting in volume, it's definitely worth trying to figure out why that is. Uh, and may, maybe some people say, yeah, just because I'm lazy, but figure out, you know, go go a bit deeper okay then yeah. why are you lazy like why you're trying to prevent the play maybe like some sort of self-sabotage you know contact adam maybe he can help you <laughs> uh, i mean yeah I, I probably have the benefit of you know seeing for like five to six years what the nine to five top job looks like and the perspective so i'm very grateful for every single day that i can spend grinding and having this sort of lifestyle while having complete financial freedom it's just a blessing to have and i guess if you started with poker and you never really had a long-term normal job, so to say, I guess you can appreciate it. You cannot really appreciate it as much as I can right now. I think also putting in a lot of volume, you probably also put in a lot of volume in League of Legends. Yeah, I mean, that was just insane. Like, I, I, insane read on, I, I was read on, I would rather not talk about how, how much I played, but uh, the, it, it was, it Maybe was it has much. helped you. <laughs> yeah, it has helped me improve my League of Legends game, but uh, I think that was the only good thing about putting in so much volume there. Uh, I was curious, like when working through the ranks through each stakes, which jumping stakes did you find the hardest? Probably five hundred to one k. To be honest, I think let's say fifty one hundred zoom is. I mean, I, that was that's a pretty long time ago, but I would assume that these stakes are very similarly um, in terms of how people play. I think nowadays 200 zoom is a bit more tough because there is 500 zoom almost never running. So this is like the highest zoom stake and the rake is fairly high. Um, but I think the biggest difference, especially talking about stars, for example, is jump from 100 uh, from 500 to 1k and then 1k and above is also another like huge step so like there's a lot of people that bum hunt 1k and play 1k but the guys or like the the, the professionals that usually show up on 2k plus on stars are all super solid really really good whereas on 500 you still have a lot a lot of mum hunters that that basically play all stakes from 500 to 100 just trying to make sure to get into good games and these guys are sort of filtered out on 1k and then 2k to another step and i think these kind of steps were probably the ones where or still nowadays i think that the, the biggest difference is obviously i can't tell the difference to 5k and then high stakes nose, nose bleeds is going to be still insane i could imagine but in those games i usually only play or like let's say i play 5k or 10k that there's only games that i play with recreational so usually there's also other guys that bump hunt that are a little bit weaker and then it's barely like a lineup whereas there's just one slightly using recreationals and then four other really good players so usually you you have 
a reasonable table on these kind of stakes. Yeah, I would agree. Like 500NL is definitely a completely different level on average than, for example, 1K. And then indeed you have a lot of guys that just play like 2K plus. So they, let's say they play, they grind 2K to 10K. And those guys you don't really see on 1K. Nowadays, you have a bit more, I think, 1K to 5K, 1K to 10K, simply because there's yeah. a bit less action than, for example, in yeah. the past. And yeah, 1K is a bit of a mixed a mixed stake, but definitely already way tougher than 500. What, what was it about your game that you needed to develop in order to, to beat the new competition? Um, that's a, you maybe still recall something like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, basically, I think, the biggest problem was every time I moved up in stakes, I gave way too much credit to the guys that I played against. And I think as soon as I dropped doing so and actually figured out that these guys are also humans with leaks, this is where, you know, I started doing well on those stakes because it it was really didn't matter when I moved up from 200 to 500, I thought these guys were really good and now they're going to crush me. When I moved up to 1K, I thought these guys were really good and crushed me. Same thing with 2K and 5K as well. Turns out, even some some guys that I considered, you know, legends of the game. I looked through the game, and nowadays I think it's fairly weak, and they're just there to collect the juice from the VIPs that are joining. So, I think in terms of how I how I changed my game, or like my foundation, or the game that I played was always solid. I was just, you know, giving the guys that were playing in the higher stakes too much credit, and then just punted by doing actions that I now know are very bad. And back then I thought these guys are just gods and play every spot perfectly. So I need to try to bluff catch in all the single spots. I need to have bluffs in every single spot too. And I think that at the start would cause or cost me a lot of win rate. And as soon as I figured out that these guys are just humans with leaks, everything basically <laughs> started working normally and uh, the results were okay-ish. Yeah, it's funny. When we take a shot, we f- suddenly feel like we have to do something different or feel something special. While the whole reason you put yourself in a position to get to, you know, to take that shot was because you were playing very good. So yeah, why yeah, do we right. suddenly want yeah. to play different when, you know, when we kind of deserved to move up? No, this is definitely something that I've heard, that, that we've heard come back many times throughout the pod, like giving too much credit to your opponent when moving up uh, as a very big league. Uh, you mentioned you worked your way through the Zoom pool. I'm curious, why do you think a lot of players stay stuck at like 50, 100 or 200 Zoom? Probably, this is also one of the reasons, right? They give too much credit or they think the stake one above is tougher than it actually is? Yeah, I I think, honestly, the main reason why I think people are stuck is ego slash entitlement, kind of. If And this, with that, I mean that a lot of those players are playing to win and not in order to play a good strategy or good, you know, good poker. This is the thing where it starts. And then I oftentimes see, I'm still like observing some communities where the talk thread is like, when there's a hand, like a, a questionable hand being posted or like there's thread talk about the hand, I think first 90% of the comments is just how bad the other guys are, how bad these guys are, how bad this action is, how bad whatever this is. And they're just focusing, like they're putting so much energy into something that is not related with them. If if they would just spend all this time that they are thinking about how bad these players are about themselves and how they could change their strategy in order to win against that, I mean, everyone would just move up way quicker. And I think this is a big part of them being stuck. And then what I also 
thing with ego is that I think a lot of people, although they're on lower stakes, they're still bad and they don't they they're not too good at the game. They still think that they deserve much more than the other guys they are playing because they perceive them to be better. And in they are trying to kind of win every pot because they feel entitled to win, although they, you know, there's just spots where you or like in poker, losing is part of the game. You know, they let's say a fold on the, like oftentimes folding is higher in EV than calling. You know, like I think a lot of people do not understand that, for example. Yeah, or giving up. Yeah, right, EV right, right. Dropping. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's just, Sometimes losing the hand is higher EV than trying to win the hand. Exactly. That sums it up. Like, you know, losing is higher EV than doing any other action, whatever the losing action might be. And I don't think that people do understand or do kind of, hmm, how do I say? Uh, are satisfied with that and it does not really stop at that point because oftentimes i see people when they when they talk about bluff catch bots or river or whatever it might be and they lost the stack what they're doing is they're looking to solver just in to get some sort of justification of what they did instead of actually thinking about the spot because oftentimes when you look at river spots in solvers like the ranges that both players have do not even look close to what in reality the ranges might look like. So they're they're making a huge punt in reality, which is like a break-even call in theory. And they're like, whatever, like, you know, I rolled a 10 here and this is like, I have to call it half of the time. So I'm even folding probably more than the silver should do. Like, how bad can this be? And I played this game perfectly. And this guy, you know, he just never has a bluff. Like, I, what can I do? And they're they just thinking, it, this comes back to the open mind and then like the, uh, and this kind of the whole approach where they if if they would just flip it around and think about all right this guy when you when he looks on these entire ranges maybe this combos are already removed on flops and turns and he would never find this bluff maybe just you know note lock this kind of scenario to see what is the logical answer for me to do that in that spot instead of just satisfying yourself looking at the pyre solution um and kind of uh, what's it called? Convincing yourself that you did everything well in that spot. So basically, what you're also saying is that ego prevents them actually from looking at themselves because the ego might not like what it will find in the reality once the Except, ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that make that makes a lot of sense. I also heard once that it's very hard to let go of doing something that you've been doing for a long time because that requires a certain. Uh, admitting to yourself that for a long time you've been doing it the wrong way yeah, and yeah. we often prefer to just you know don't admit we did it wrong and just continue and just you know crash or, or go down with the ship uh instead of like admitting like hey wait what i was maybe now doing is maybe suboptimal maybe i should i should change that yeah and i think the second thing is i mean i don't know how to describe that but poker is in in a sense such a stupid game that you have to be the least human that you can possibly be um i i i i, I try to follow go on so the human brain in when it comes to poker is very stupid you know like you you just it's a lot of the things are very unintuitive and not logical so what i mean with that and i experienced this um coaching some uh, like 100 l players they came up to me with the hand and they were telling me um, in this spot and then, like in spots where it's like completely white and I would just throw in my half of my stack with like whatever bluff catcher I have. And they, they're like, now nah, we thought you like they never bluff, you know, they never bluff. 
And what their argument, like, or like his argument was like, you know, I've called here, you know, five times, they always have the nuts. And the problem with this is like, let's take an example. You have like a hot stove and you would put your hand on the hot stove. You would burn yourself. You would do it twice or three times. At some point you would just stop, you know, like it, it makes sense. It's always bad result. And the, the problem with Boker is that a good action doesn't equal a good result. And this could be so many instances with the variance involved that, you know, a plus EV bluff catcher could be the wrong, like you could catch 10 times and could be wrong 10 times. And this catcher could still be a plus EV bluff catcher. And the problem with this is if you're not super conscious and rational about this, you could just start getting into like really bad habits. And that's what I mean with like, with like be the least amount of human when, when you're playing or when it comes to broker related stuff is like when you actually have data that someone is over bluffing in the spot or under bluffing, the logical thing to do is, or like the, the thing you have to, the action that you have to do or is the most profitable one will always be the most profitable regardless of the first five, 10, 15 times of the outcome. Like you, you might be losing your stack 12 out of 15 times despite doing doing the better action. And just seeing this as the bigger picture, if like if this happens 1000 times, it's, it's, it's gonna be profitable in the long run. And I don't, or I think people, especially like lower stakes players, like they confuse their emotions and experience with, you know, instead of just looking and, at actual data. Um, because I, I always had this argument, it's like, he's telling me, no, they never bluff you, they never bluff you, they always have nuts and so on. And I'm like, yeah, okay, show, show me in your database, you probably have a million hands, show me five hands of that being true. He couldn't show me two of those hands. You know, and, and the, the thing is like, they, they're just convincing themselves about this being so true because it happened to them five times or whatever X amount of times. And they're not really thinking about like, or that they, they, they cannot be rational enough or like, you know, um, they cannot reflect about the spot enough to, in order to, to, to get to the conclusion that is actually required that, you know, this action is good. The result doesn't really matter. Yeah, no, I, I can strongly agree. For example, sometimes let's say I, I randomly watch a Twitch stream and then you hear exactly that phrase, oh, people never fold here, people never bluff here. I'm like, hmm, I, I, would, I would strongly disagree in, in some of these. Uh, and yeah, also yeah. people ask you, yeah, sometimes you get a question, do people bluff at Hunt and Zoom? What kind of question is that? This is way more nuanced. Yes, <laughs> like certain player profiles over bluff a certain line, under bluff a different line. Uh, certain, you know, there's a texture, there's bet sizing. It's it's way more nuanced. We cannot just have one answer. And then I think a very big problem is it once you have like a certain story in your mind, the the confirmation bias comes in that every time they don't bluff, you say, you see, I told you, yeah, they yeah. never bluff. And <laughs> like this might happen. Let, let, let's say they show the bluff four out of five times. All those four times they show the bluff gets overwritten by that one time that they can confirm their original bias mm. that someone would never bluff by saying, I told you, he never bluffs. And they basically discard the other information. Basically, like the, the bias doesn't allow any new information to come in. And I think this also, again, comes back to the other point where they have to then admit that they were wrong all that time, which is which is quite quite a tough pill to swallow, I can imagine. Yeah. And I think maybe the third point is that people do not understand or focus on the wrong things when they try to improve or move up it's like i even nowadays not not a few days ago actually so a professional poker player and streamer you know playing gto wizard 
And when I see someone studying 150 BB deep under the gun versus cutoff lead spots, I am just completely losing my mind. Like I, I really get so sad and tilted at the same time that I have to switch off because otherwise I would probably just, you know, educate too many people because like I try to be a reasonable human being. So if I talk straight with someone or like if I study with someone, especially with the with people that I studied with, I'm very open in what I do. And I would probably share like 95% of the stuff or like probably all of the stuff and on how I approach the game and what I think. And I would never, you know, if someone is asking me about some specific thing, either like I give him like a very precise answer of how I think, or if that is like too much, I would just say like I don't really want to go further into detail because of this and that. I would never just bullshit around and make up stupid stuff, if that makes sense. And if if I had to watch this for half an hour, I could just couldn't help myself and just help this 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 guy because, you know, like it, this. If, if there is two instances in an entire year where you play this spot, then probably a lot already. And just wasting more than five minutes looking at this spot, and even those five minutes, is just absolutely insane. This, uh, this is the secret, guys, to being efficient with your time so you can rise to the ranks very fast. Study yes. spots that are frequent or high in EV. That, yeah, that, that is a pretty good... Uh, advice for people out there hi guys renee aka the wacko here with a quick mechanics of poker 2.0 announcement because we are currently open to receive 10 new players in our mechanics of poker coaching program in our program you will get access to 80 plus hours of content in which we will explain you all aspects needed in order to become a more successful poker player now one of these of course is the technical aspect of the game in which I'll be explaining you all the mechanics behind poker strategies. We'll be talking about GTO, exploitive play with an extra focus on the why behind certain strategies and why the population has certain leaks. And to increase your win rate even further, we've recently added a river bluff and bluff catching section so you can increase your NV when those pots become very big. Our mindset and performance coach Adam Carmichael, he took care of the mental game and performance section of this program in which he will teach you everything you need to know in order to break through limiting beliefs, better handle your emotions, break free from tilt and play your A game more consistently. And last but not least, we've added the management and optimization section in the program in which we will give you various tips and tricks to make it more likely for your poker career to succeed and how to continuously improve as a poker player. Now on top of that, this concept is continuously evolving based on feedback and suggestions we get from our community. Next to all this content, you will have access to our exclusive Discord community, monthly live Q&A calls, and one-on-one -on -one coaching session in which we are going to be reviewing if you have been implementing the stuff that we teach you in the mechanics of poker correctly. So do you think you have what it takes to master the mechanics of poker? And will you take one of the 10 available seats? Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com and apply for the program. And maybe you will get a chance to work with me and Adam and make more progress in your poker career. But for now, without further ado, let's get back into more goodness in today's episode. We have talked some poker strategy as well. And I know another thing that tilts you a lot is uh, when, when, when people play their hand, correct? Yeah. 
that is uh i mean i i don't i how do i say like, I because like we're we're here maybe to to give some good advice and there's I, I think if i if i quote you you were saying oh this is advice that a lot of people always give but this doesn't help your poker game yeah i mean especially oftentimes this the specific thing that you said this just tilts me when someone who i think is somewhat reasonable or is trying to play the game is playing their hand specifically because it's kind of an insult towards the guy that you're playing against if that makes sense because mm-hmm. um, that would mean that like you're so weak that you could never exploit me for me only having this hand in that specific moment i do not blame weaker players for doing that because you know that's why they are in this kind of category or like the way they are still on lower stakes because they haven't figured it out yet i mean my main job is to figure out whether this guy is actually just having this sort of strategy or this bet is triggered by this exact hand and then you know <laughs> go from there but usually what happens is if, if like decent players start showing up with hands in notes that are not a thing and i know that it's not a thing and it's very likely that he's not a f- knows that it's not a thing yeah that, that that's a bit triggering while while playing not saying that i get tilted and start screaming in front of the computer but i might just get carried away and uh yeah just freestyle as well in that in that specific spot no, yeah, but I remember very specifically. I told you more that then when people are, when people are trying to learn, and then uh, other people they're educating people on the wrong things to do. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that that is insane. Oh uh, yeah, that's insane. Obviously, like I, I think it's fine to just play poorly, but charging a lot of money for coaching other people while giving them poor kind of advice is even like that. That's just so. I. I mean, the pro the thing is, like, can you even blame the guy because he probably thinks that he is doing the things correctly and he's doing everything right, and it might have worked for him for you know half a year, year or whatever it might be. So he thought he thinks he has figured it out, but the problem is, if you know better and you know that this guy is just talking nonsensical stuff and is charging four hundred bucks per hour, it's very rough to take that pill. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? For example, obviously, I, I've done a lot of coaching and I always give the disclaimer, like, listen, I'm just here to tell you what I know. And like, like I said, you have to be very aware that uh, how I think about the game now. I think every year when I look back, I think different about the game than a year ago. I think it would also be a bit weird if you don't. Then I think you're very stuck. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's many players that now listen, well, I still think about the same about the game as five years ago. I'm like, hmm, probably should 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 move on it's always a disclaimer give listen uh you know and something that i will say uh will make sense and other things maybe a year ago if you ask me a year later if you ask me it's like mm, yeah this is how i looked at it back then nowadays i look at it different and yeah. this is yeah this is just what you get i think for a game that is uh uh yeah that is not solved and that for a lot of parts of the three others just no yeah there there's no clear answer so to speak but obviously yeah if the coach deliberately says gives wrong information yeah that would obviously uh, <laughs> obviously not be be very ideal uh but obviously like there is there is a difference like i think uh when speaking to you outside of this podcast as well we talked about this like there's a certain benefit of you growing up in like a new school generation right yeah for example when when we talk strategy you might sometimes hear me say stuff but they say yeah that's very human that's very you. Yeah. <laughs> there's also there's like there's like old habits that you know ten years ago you know maybe I learned something or thought uh, something was in a certain way and I just continued to believe that was true until for example in this case Joseph tells me well uh, like, oh, 
this is not the this is not the way to do it, you know. But like, I, f- I think then you have the benefit of not having these bad habits. What what do you think are like some some bad habits that or old school players or less studied players have? I I mean I guess this, you know, especially like this hand targeting kind of thing that you mentioned earlier i think is a very bad habit because you will and especially versus good players you will often end up with very nonsensical lines and then people will sniff it out very quickly when they're good and if you have that because the problem with that is that this kind of habit will happen like you know you will end up in a lot of occasions with these kind of spots where you know, you 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 bet this because you target that whatever category might be, and like f- this this kind of thinking when when you're just thinking about your hand versus you know the two or three hands that the guy that you put the guy on basically instead of thinking about your range versus his range, what like your entire entire strategy would do, then you just come up with five sizes on the river for five different hand classes versus five different hand classes against the other guy where, you know, your entire range is completely intact when you use four or, or even all five of these sizes. And if you play against super where players, which like the best players nowadays are, they don't need to see a lot of showdowns to start making assumptions about what you do. And you start just start bleeding in, in these spots like very, very often. So I think playing, I, I, I think just might I say like, can't really tell probably you have to would have to come up with a lot of old habits or habits that you would have that could potentially be a leak because other than that i couldn't think about it too much i just maybe thinking for example not in terms of uh mdfs like the minimal fan frequencies rather than you know uh yeah his bluffs need to work this many times and like no he bluffs like this amount and that's why whatever conclusion might come up it's like I just think about my entire range and when I'm in the tough spot I first of all think about like how is he supposed to play is he capable of doing so and then I know what my range approximately will will look like I don't know probably people that are from the pre-solver era would would structure the entire game plan a bit differently so yeah I would say pre-solver like nowadays you know you play from a strategy where for example in pre-solver age uh, (laughs) the dinosaur age it it was uh it, it was more like you know yeah you try to figure out what your opponent is up to what he has and then you try to counter that or target that and obviously you know there is a global sort of strategy involved but th- this is also the thing right people were playing very suboptimal so you could range people very specifically mm-hmm. people's yeah, range were constantly yeah. not intact so the correct play was also to Basically, it was the correct thing to do because people didn't have an intact range all the time. Yeah. Whereas now, for example, with solvers, if people, for example, keep their range intact uh, on, for example, flop turn, you cannot really target something specific because there is a whole right. range, right. right? So that thinking doesn't work anymore. It's yeah. outdated. Yeah. I, I guess this would be basically that the habit that probably is is kind of a league, especially if you play in tougher games, or is certainly a league if you want to play in tougher games. I would say it's interesting. I would say it's indeed a leak in tougher games, but then in in lower games, if your reads every time are way more accurate, for example, versus a recreational, you might do something specific versus 
the specific hands or ranges that he has, right? Because you can be transparent. And then in a vacuum, that play might be the highest EV. And since in the past, people were, basically everyone was a recreational, uh, that, that kind of strategy was very incentivized. Whereas nowadays, uh, people have less leaks. And I, I see this a lot, especially with like old school players and exploitive content and stuff. Like, and I can see how this worked because I used it as well over many years. But then when I, for example, when, when we sit down at the 1K tables, the 2K tables, you know, and we're battling it out. Yeah, eh, you know, the average guy who battles 1K or 2K, they don't have these leaks. Like in the past, <laughs> I would just, you know, you open your hut. It's like, oh yeah, he does this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. You build strategy, done. And the money would just print infinitely to you. Uh, but nowadays it's like, oh wait, oh wait, there's no leaks. Oh wait, then maybe I should think about my own strategy and how to build our own solid strategy. Yeah. It was just because because the way the opposition was in the past, a strategy like that was not very incentivized. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I think how do I say like when 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 I talk about the game and the way I play, like specifically like when I consider these leaks is when you're playing in a very tough environment. And I will also agree that. The stuff that you did will still work, especially versus recreationals and weaker opponents. But you could come to the same conclusion using the solver. So if you knew that this guy is overfolding in X spot and you would note lock the solver and tell him, dude, like this guy is folding, then obviously the solver is also gonna be a, a huge maniac and just yeah, yeah, for, for do, sure. Do whatever like he said, wants. I'm I'm definitely I remember actually my game, I stagnated for a long time around like five hundred and one K. And then actually when I started to use solvers and build a more theoretical base and create a more understanding of what's actually going on that's actually when my game that that was kind of the thing that i needed in order for my for my game to progress uh and i think yeah nowadays the same right if you only stick to theory and if you don't sort of note lock in your head while playing and come up with the deviations that are available to you because you know like you said people are playing suboptimal uh it's both skills that you have to develop yeah yeah i think this is what but definitely I, I I prefer, yeah. but like I said, that route was not available to people. <laughs> like the the roots of studying theory first, and then when, once you're capable, I think this is something that uh, I think Goosecore always says, right? You cannot exploit if you don't know what's the correct strategy. Right. This is always they don't have someone. Th this is always what I wonder is when there's people out there that's in that they're pure exploitative style and they only play exploitative. They never looked at solvers. It's like, how do you exploit? You don't even know what the fuck is going on. Like, where, where do you deviate? Where do you come from? You're just making things up and you're punting. Like, that's the only thing you're, you're yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, like, I think often players just say, yeah, but this is an exploit. They just <laughs> yeah, use yeah, it yeah. as an excuse to do whatever they felt like doing. You know? I mean, and I mean, this discussion between GTO and exploitative poker is like, you, you need to be really good at the game in order to even be allowed or like before you should have some sort of judgment because the thing with gto and exploitative poker is let's it's basically the same thing you know so yep. like the equilibrium immediately shifts as soon as one of the guys playing suboptimal there will be a new equilibrium created for both players as soon as some combos do different stuff from what is gto so like ex playing exploitatively is just Finding the equilibrium. I right, guess. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So so basically what you're doing when playing poker is finding the equilibrium for the situation that's at hand. Right, exactly. And the tougher your opponent, the closer that equilibrium will look like the solver output that you've run in yes. the afternoon in the solver. Especially on earlier streets and then on yeah, rivers yeah. you most of the times have to make assumptions and I'm curious, when moving up to the ranks, I'm sure you kept on encountering tougher 
opponents. Does anyone in particular stand out that you played against that made your life very difficult? And what is it about uh, the way he plays or the strategy that kind of the top dogs in the game use that make them so difficult to play against? Mm, I mean, that is like really hard to tell, obviously. As soon like when you move up the first time, as I said, like you just probably or like I played probably really poorly because I thought they were just every single spot they're just gonna be playing perfectly and I just tried to not get run over. Um as soon as you figure out that these guys are also humans, that's what I stated earlier, it, it gets a lot easier. But I think especially on, on 2K plus when when you play um three, four handed everyone that is playing or like let's say 95% or 90% of the guys are like super, super solid. And I think playing against a guy that is really trying to play a super solid gay, uh, game is just the most difficult to play against because you just end up being in spots where you have very marginal decisions constantly. It's like you're every decision that you make will not make a lot of money in equilibrium versus a guy that is playing like super solid. Like you, you're just basically shipping around money and then the guy that makes the least mistakes will win a little bit that's kind of what happens and basically everyone that i play nowadays on on on, on 2k star specifically i think 464 was was started playing like last couple of days again probably got bored and <laughs> wanted wanted a bit of juice uh, and then i guess i i couldn't name anything specific i just think that everyone is just um super good i I, I think they just calling out some random names is just will leave too much room for discussion open, even though it's just like 464 is an example, but there's a lot of players like him that are just super solid. And the problem is you would just need maybe, I don't know, five million hands of playing three handed, four handed in order to really be judgmental of like who is the best, who has the best strategy, and then things shift while playing so you could never come to a conclusion because what ends up happening is is the guy that plays very solid and runs the best it feels like this guy is unbeatable it's probably yeah yeah you always uh, there's always if, if you would have a you know you you, you do a certain you talk about one player and one guy said ah oh, he always gets me the other guy what he's terrible it's like no yeah he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah over a certain sample you know he every time put you in a, in a difficult spot yeah. and you know it can be that I'm just running very... Let's say, for example, we play against each other. It can be that I just ran very good in the spots that I was given, you know? Like, the run out every yeah. time was perfect, and you just yeah. feel like every time I get, like, the perfect spot uh, to make a bluff or get the perfect spot to go a bit thin for value, and that's exactly when you called. Or and then, over a short period, you can get the idea of, like, wow, this guy this guy is on another level. He's always one step ahead of me. Yeah, I, I think I think this is specifically true um, on 2K+. plus. I think on 1K, there is still at least some of the times, some wrecks that join in and just want to play for whatever reason. I think that on 1K, you can still have a decent edge over other professionals. Um, talking about stars and ACR maybe specifically, because like these are the places where a lot of wreck battling happening. Um, but I think the guys that play like 3 and 4 in the 2K and 5K and Pokestars, for example, like everyone is like super solid. And I think just calling out random names that I um, subjectively feel that they are the best, despite they're just running very well against me, whereas other guys are equally good and just didn't have like a very poor run against me would just probably be a, a bit unfair kind of and very subjective in terms of um, not being, I mean, I could, 
could not be able to say like this guy is the best and this guy is the worst of the guy that battles um no I yeah just... for sure like i said it was, it was more looking for like a common trait that the top dogs have that make them very hard to play against and that's exactly what you already said right their strategy doesn't leave room for one decision to be clearly better to take yeah. than the yeah. other right uh, if someone is over Let's say, for example, someone is over passive. Just every time you have a bluff catcher and you, you just fold. If someone is, you know, way too much to the other side and just very over aggressive, it's like okay, probably less pleasant. But every time you just call down, it's right yeah. in the middle where you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. Th this is also what what sometimes I think is like very funny is when this happened also like when I was coaching uh, um, uh, <laughs> the lower stakes players. Sometimes I was uh, streaming my sessions and just sharing some thoughts. And then you you just end up like let's say it's in 2k and you end up in a spot where it's like a three-way pot and the money goes in on the river and you have a reasonable bluff catcher which you know like in a spot where best case you win one bb two bb worst case you lose a little bit probably somewhere in between and you're like whatever i mean i know that it's at least a frequency call in theory so might even roll for it and then we just press call and uh you know just as the nuts we lose our stack that's fine and 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 then like uh, the, the, one of the students said yeah i mean look this guy is so good like it's just an easy call like well like, i mean come on like this guy has infinite bluffs here right? it's just an easy call and like dude what the fuck you're talking about i'm, I'm playing for infinite amounts uh, amounts of money here let's say there's 200 bb and i might with my call i might win one or two bbs every time i make this call or lose two or three bbs i would rather play in an environment because like he was stating in my in my stakes they would never bluff here so like yeah, i would they, always they fold. complain about that huh? yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And, but, well. but but to be very honest i think i had this habit too when i was playing on lower stakes it's like complaining about this nowadays it's just i would love to play in a pool where it's full of nits like that yeah, would be the perfect. greatest that would be in, in not in terms of you know like the competitive aspect but in terms of money and just winning the most like every decision would be so clear and easy i i could just chill the entire day and print but whereas or the when, other way around right they say yeah i have a bunch of stations they're not capable of folding i'm like well that's great to stop fucking bluffing yeah 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 it's it's so crazy like this this guy this kind of logic gets me every single time when when i this is this. also i think like something that attracts i think something a romantic aspect of poker is you know maybe also because the media televised and stuff making cool bluffs cool bluff catchers you understand yeah. this is actually spots where this is not where the EV comes from, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but people like to think because it gives you. I mean, I'm sure you've 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 been in situations where you put it put it out a great bluff or a great bluff catch where you're really like that was a nice one. You know, yeah, it's I very, mean, obviously, it's very, I, I think it's, it's great when you, when when you call down with fifth pair and you're like, right, but you have to be rational about the situation that you know you you yeah, want to exactly. stack now, but this this call is break even or slightly winning at best. And then and then and then the problem comes when i think you also mentioned that when people play to win or they play I, I remember i had some students as well that 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 would just thrive off this shit they would just pick on every good marginal bluff catch opportunity just because just just because they wanted to feel invincible or like they did something great you know and that's kind of when when you kind of miss the point i actually know, noticed it in my own game as well when i'm a bit off off balance and not in great mindset then i get way too I don't know that I play poker way too fancy or I'm trying to do something funky. And this is like you said, that you're they're playing a bit outcome based. You're playing to get something out of the game other than listen, I'm just here to try to show up as a better version than yesterday, play a better strategy than I did yesterday, improve on my leagues. Yeah, totally agree. Adam, I'm sure uh, you have something to add to 
to to this story? Yeah, I think it's very fascinating. I've, I've been listening along to you guys chatting about almost there's something about like the the feeling you get from touching a bluff. It's almost like I outsmarted you. There's something yeah. that players hold on to where there's that nice feeling of I'm better than you. And I speak to a lot of players who have mindset issues, let's call it, or struggling with these issues. And very often they make things very personal. The river spot isn't a strategy game. It's like, this guy is trying to pull one over me. I'm going to get him here. Oh, he's been aggressively twice. And they make it this, this big deal where it becomes this very visceral thing. They've got adrenaline pumping through the body. And they're like, I can't let this guy get me. And all of a sudden, we're not playing poker anymore. We're playing this game of like, I need to get one over on him. And then they make a decision, often on emotion, and then regret it later. On the flip side, they get that right. And they get this amazing endorphin release. And they're like, wow, got him there. Yes. And they're almost like, put that in their kind of storage bank. So next time they get bluffed, Call him down because these guys bluff me. So yeah, they can create these. Yeah, they're, ch- they're chasing. Like, they're, they're kind of chasing that feeling, right? And that's exactly, it's yeah. almost like the confirmation bias. Every time it's it's very bad when it goes right because then they get that endorphin and the next time they want that endorphin again. Exactly, and it creates like a feedback loop where now it's like ah, catching a bluff feels good. And on the flip side as well, when you're bluffing, it's the same dynamic where it feels good to bluff somebody to get one over on them. And yeah, as, as you mentioned before, I think like what you say you said. Um, Losing is the highest EV decision in this moment. It's one of those things where it's very hard for a human to accept that. Like, giving up on this spot, it's making the most money. Not bluffing here, makes the most money. Folding here, makes the most money. It's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive, this kind of human aspect, as Joseph talks about, that players struggle with because it feels, yes, it's, it's difficult in the moment. So obviously, from a logical perspective, it's very simple. It's very easy, but yeah, we get caught up in these dynamics which make it very difficult and myself and Rene have done a lot of work on this in terms of the mental game of bluff catching and trying to create systems to help players decide when to bluff and when to bluff catch because it becomes challenging because players get wrapped up in these dynamics and very often you'll end up with a player who creates a profile he always bluffs or he bluffs way too much or he under bluffs too much they create this very polarized situation or they'll bluff catch too much or not bluff catch enough so uh, if you have a tendency that's gone one way or the other very often there's a lot linked into that, which you need to undo to kind of get you back to that baseline. So yeah, lost I'm impact. Cur- I'm, I'm curious, Joseph, like you don't seem to struggle with any of these things. Is this something that you've consciously worked on or, you know, were, were you born with it? Sort of? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think so. I mean, the way I see this is, is like, I certainly had, a lot of these habits too when I was starting out and playing lower stakes. Maybe not as extreme as others, but I certainly was complaining about others being bad, about never bluffing, still bluff catching in these kind of spots. I was just, you know, being very bad at at the game. But what what I always try is to what when I'm when I'm in those kind of situations where it's like I I would just be very mad at myself. Like let's say I could talk to a mirror that would just observe me playing and i would discuss my with my mirror about like how i feel in this game and the other like my mirror could be very rational about this like you're just a stupid fuck like what are you doing here like just think about it and you can work it out you know like i'm just trying to be and this is why 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 i mentioned this earlier i'm just when it comes to poker related stuff i'm just trying to be the least amount of human that i can be in, in that kind of situation and every time i kind of have some sort of emotional feeling or like some sort of emotion that would trigger an action like i i i kind of build this <laughs> some sort of trigger in my head where 
I immediately ask myself whether this is like when I have an emotion, I immediately ask myself if this emotion not triggered because of that or that, and does it make sense? So like I immediately in the spot, I would think about, is this now rational? Do I have, I really worked this out or do I just, you know, make this decision based out of emotions. And I think nowadays I just got really good at this catching myself before I made the decision to kind of correct myself before everything already went, uh, went down. And obviously, I still maybe once a month or once every two months, there, there's obviously going to be something in there. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm it's a range, right? You to... do it less than maybe. Exactly. Before. And then every time it happens, I just try to avoid it even further. And I think I tried to do this for like ever since I started being professional, like I started being professional. I, I just sat down. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I can't be tilting. Like this is what I do for a li- living now. Like just tilting is absolutely pathetic. Like I can't get annoyed about this this is just my job like if i feel some if i feel so bad about situations that i cannot make conscious or like rational decision anymore i would just have to stop playing like this is this mm-hmm. is what i said this is like sort and, of the identity that you created for yourself i'm a professional poker player and joseph the professional poker player does not tilt this is unacceptable yeah right and this is like if i could talk to like the other myself so to speak like i would just i would just get very mad at myself if 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 i had all these habits because if if you think about it rationally they, they are very stupid and and they just contribute nothing to your to your life your game your 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 kind of um living experience but obviously it's, it's gonna happen some of the time but i every time like an emotion comes up while playing i i try to question whether you know this is the right thing to do and why i feel about it that way and try to basically get rid of that as soon as possible in order to being able to um, make make a rational decision, whatever the spot might be. For the listeners, this is definitely something different than blocking your emotions. You're clearly describing, I feel a certain emotion coming up. And before I make a decision, I question myself if this decision is based on a certain emotion or pure rational logic, correct? Right, right. Actually, yeah, I, I say this I was going to say this is a skill like emotional regulation where he's doing quite a lot of things. It sounds very simple, but first of all, he's aware that an emotion has come into his kind of body and it's impacting his decision. So uh, the awareness that my emotional state is changed. He then takes a step back and goes, what triggered this? What triggered this change in my emotional state? Is this a positive thing or negative? And then he uses logic to overwrite that emotion and go, uh, hmm, as you know, it's coming from my insecurities or this opponent who's beat me. Ah, I can drop that. So uh, those seem very easy. It's a very, uh, this can happen very quickly, but for most players, they get stuck in an emotion. The emotion takes over and they're not very good at spotting in real time that the emotional state has changed and an event that happens likely triggered that. For you, though you described it very simply, it's a very high level skill to be able to spot emotional changes, observe the trigger that caused that, and objectively change the meaning of that event in real time is a yeah, pretty high level skills. It's yeah. it's interesting that, that you mentioned, like it's I think you said, yeah, it's just an emotion, uh, it's stupid, it's not rational. But I but I have found though, uh I, I definitely experience uh, uh more of these things, or at least uh than than what I it seems like you experience. Uh I found that it's like emotions, in my opinion, it's it's interesting because it's stupid. I don't think it's the right word. They often actually make sense. Like like they don't make sense, but they make sense. Adam, can you help me out here? I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so the, I mean. yeah the, the, the emotion always makes sense based on the meaning you're giving the event. So yeah, if you exactly. get angry, it's because you It doesn't make sense in that exact situation, yeah. but there's a certain maybe underlying meaning that this situation could represent. And 
for that it actually makes sense somewhere in you. Yeah, and what, and what Joseph is doing is stripping that layer away. He's almost like freeze frame in time and going, oh, emotional changes, emotions change. There's something that's triggered that. That means I'm giving a, this event a meaning, which isn't logical or it's not helping me in this situation. Okay, that's not logical. Drop that. So couldn't that mean enough? Emotion drops with it. All right, let's play for again. Here we go. So uh, although I like, can feel complicated emotions in, in real time, but when people, when people are good with emotions, they're very good at like this rational process of spotting things happening, dropping the meaning, and then carrying on. Where other people who struggle with emotions get caught in the stories, caught in the meaning, stuck in the emotion, and then it plays out from there. So yeah, that's kind of the... Overview. So, so how do we acquire the superpower? Where, where did you buy this, Joseph? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> 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 Amazon <laughs> link. Maybe, maybe at the some point uh, we, we, we can negotiate about the you know product. But uh, <laughs> nah, like I don't know. I I, I just it, you know set my this is basically what it comes to when when I when the goal that I set myself is just to be you know the best possible version of me and in terms of poker it's like. Every day I try to 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 think about, especially when when these things came up, like why did this happen, and then try to improve. And I do this, or like I try to to do this basically on a daily basis without having some sort of fixed schedule that I just sit down and write things down and stuff. I I just try to kind of help myself in that situation in order to improve from day to day and day, and to become you know to basically minimize all the stuff that would hurt my long-term ev or my poker skills or my improvement to be very you know it, I, I think i guess like it's for i'm very gifted in that way or i have to be because a lot of the players that i talk to or some of the players they they do struggle like a lot more with this kind of tilled emotional stuff and stuff like that um but i'm also not 100 percent convinced that people try as hard as i do in terms of improving that skill if that makes sense because i you could just play a session you could get could get tilted and then you just you know stand up have your food like go out and not really think about it and when this happens 10 times you're like maybe i should change something and then you don't change anything every time this thing comes up i'm trying to reflect the entire situation like why why did this happen and does this make sense and like, does it help me in terms of poker? Obviously, like, in, in life, it's completely different. Um, but, yeah, when uh, people just stand up and go away and try to do different things, they're trying to feel different. And then yeah, the next time they're in a situation, it will just be yeah. repeat because nothing has changed. And, I mean, I this is, like, the guys that I know, know in real life that I hang out some of the times that are also poker players. They're, they're also stated that I'm kind of gifted in, with that kind of mentality because they they oftentimes come up to me like dude i'm i'm running so bad i just get this and that and i'll start punting because i feel got so tilted and stuff and i, I was like look if, if, if you could just look at yourself while playing and you could interact with yourself like just you know if a version of yourself that wasn't in the heat of the moment like you, mm -hmm. you could clearly tell yourself that this doesn't make sense what you're doing here and this is just a bad action triggered by an emotion which would will end up losing or hurting yourself so this is kind of how i see the things that if 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 you're just kind of hindering yourself or 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 basically just damaging yourself in a way where it, it's money or emotional like just emotional stress like i, I 
I just try to not avoid it, but being very, very conscious about this and um, yeah, basically have a conversation with myself, if that makes any sense that, you know, that I, I, I could do this without, you know, the, the motion is, is completely fine at that moment. It's like, if, if you feel like you're getting run over and these guys just always have it every single time, I'm like, yeah, what the fuck is going on? These guys are after me and you get four bet 10 times in a row. Like these guys are after me. It turns out they just always have the nuts, you know, like that's, that's just how it, that's just how it works. And I think the better you are at accepting those things and trying to be very rational about it, the, the less often or like the less often you will do mistakes and the higher your win rate eventually will be. And this is kind of the driver for, for, for me. Just yeah. Um, I, th I think the key aspect of what you said there is very important. The emotion is completely fine. And then uh, you said this can happen. So the, there's the emotion and there's a story. And the story is this can happen. Yeah. Where Adam, I think a lot of players, they come up with a different story, right? Like they say, he's after me. That's a different story that people start telling based on the emotion. Whereas Joseph, his stories are way more rational. They're like, oh yeah, I'm upset. I feel upset. Yeah, obviously I feel upset. That's completely fine. But this situation can happen. Move on. Mm, exactly. And with Joseph's kind of way of thinking, he's learning from his emotions. So every emotion that comes up, he inspects it. He almost like puts it in the magnifying glass. Why is this here? It was in this moment. Is it helping me? Is it rational? Okay, drop it and move on. So every emotion comes up as a signal into uh, to almost like drop that story narrative that he has that moment and to be more rational in that moment. And I think it's very interesting when you said some some of your friends know that you're gifted with this. And I just think it's it's such a cop-out because it basically means like you, you've developed skills that you've worked on in this way. Like even though you talk about your day-to-day, -day, you think, you reflect, you go deep, you work on stuff. This didn't happen by chance. You didn't just magically wake up with these kind of insights. You're working on this daily. And people who are willing to go deep on themselves like to blame other people. Ah, oh, he's good at that. Yeah, it's easy for him. He doesn't have emotions, but I've got emotions. So I can't do what you do. In reality, you have a framework of thinking. So what would be better for those two, your friends to ask you is go, how do you think about poker? How do you strip away all these emotional layers? How do you use so much logic? So the way I look at you, you're basically playing the game of poker to be the best version of yourself. And that's the, that's all that really matters. So everything else is looked at that through that lens. So you're really reflecting, you're inspecting, and you're trying to think, how can I be a better version of myself? So every time an emotion comes up, you go, oh, interesting, this emotion came up. How could I use this to become better and learn from it? And very often it's, yeah, overriding that illogical response and learning from it. But it's a consistent iteration. So uh, when other players say like, oh, they're not capable of doing that, I'd, I'd go get them to question that. And very often like, they're not playing the same game as you. They're not honestly playing the game of, I want to be the best version of myself and I'm going to put the effort into that every single day. Because if you were, they start introspecting themselves. They start going, right, actually, there is some things I'm doing here that I keep repeating day by day. And after my session, I go and watch Netflix or I go on YouTube. And I don't actually look at what, where I came from. And I'm not working on these recourses, but the same emotion comes up every session I play for the last three years. Oh, interesting. So uh, how much work have you really done on that? So yeah, I think it's, yeah, you've obviously you're playing a different game, but also uh, you develop skills that I think other players could develop if they, they put the work in. Yeah, it sounds more like a victim and a bit, a bit of fixed mindset. Well, like, like you said, like, oh, I have emotions, you don't. So therefore, whereas they are not, like Joseph has a clear image of what uh, a professional player striving to become one of the best, you know, what that entails. And dealing with this is uh, and how to better deal with this in the future and come up with better strategies is part of that. Yeah, I mean, also what, what I think is like to add something to that stuff is that I'm trying to always see being optimistic in every single spot and see turn 
basically negative things into positive things. What I mean with that, for example, let's take two examples. Is like every time you three bet, you get four bet. Like let's say this, do you play half half an hour and this happens ten times? And you know this guy's a super new teacher, said it every single time. So what you could do is either you fold every single time and you're down like a little bit, or you could start punting around and give this guy another two stacks. So basically, you you just won in in that instance by just staying calm and you like not how do you say like the emotions not taking over same same example would be i mean first of all i think checking results while playing or generally checking results like too often is very toxic and a very bad habit for for a poker player but i for example uh only check results after i finished my session and i think like in terms of i, I never really get kind of triggered so like i could be down infinite doesn't matter i could be up infinite doesn't matter like just next day is going to be a new day and that's it but how i see things is like i start a session and then i play you know i, I play like four or five k tables and then like some 1k 2k tables and i lose like three buy-ins immediately let's say in the first half an hour i get cooled three times on 5k and then oh, I'm, I'm basically infinite down and there's no way of this ever being breaking even session so what i do is i basically well, i think to myself if if this session ends up just being 10k down or like 15k down this would be a huge win you know like I'm, I'm not sitting there like at the end of the session i'm like yeah like if i'm 10k down like this is basically a session that is won. i just got cool at three times what can i do if, if i don't if i don't lose like unnecessary stuff or if i start punting this session was still a good session despite the result being bad like they, they, there was no hands that i was in control of and it will be the other way around eventually and some players would probably be steaming after this third 30 minutes, just getting cooled three times. They're not, they cannot do anything about that. It's completely standard spot. And they would just end up maybe even re-grinding or like grinding longer than they're supposed to do because they're stuck so much, which is absolutely insane. So like if I sit there and I decide the session started off like really bad, I'm like everything that is not down infinite amounts of money is a good session, you know? And then I wrap it up. I'm only down 7,000 instead of like 15. I'm like, man, this is a great session. I basically won. I'm curious to know how you've been able to develop this mindset because I love this kind of, I, I class this as perspective. So perspective is almost like the lens you see life through. It can be optimistic, it can be pessimistic, it can be neutral. So let's say you're losing a session, exactly as you, you've, you've said, you could be like, oh, why me? How have I lost this much money? That's like the kind of negative glass. You could just be, all right, well, this happened, whatever, life goes on, it's just, just a few buy-ins. Or you could do your version, which is the, the ultimate of, go, right, anything from here is a win. All right, let's get to it. If I'm only down 14 here, that's, that's awesome. So uh, I'm really curious like to know uh, how you've developed the skill. Have you been someone who... Uh, throughout your life it's been an optimistic person or has been anything that you've that's helped you to create this so if i look at myself in terms of perspective skills stoicism and stoic philosophy has been one of the things that's really helped me to uh, cultivate a more positive and neutral perspective and to see things that are out of your control as either neutral or in your favor but it took me a while to like cultivate that in lots and lots of scenarios it seems like for you you might have already developed that naturally but yeah i'm curious to know how you've been able to uh, work on your perspective skills i think it was kind of a skill that i might even had prior to poker maybe not um that uh, kind of developed as it is now but like usually the, the way it happened is it does whether it was in school it was a job it was in university what ended up happening is like even if you failed an exam if you forgot about something if at work something didn't go well or went the wrong way you know it 
the world the world was still there the next day you know like it, the, 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 everything keep kept being the same thing even though like sometimes you might lose whatever like if 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 you fail at university you need to take longer sometimes like a job it might be critical because you get fired or whatever if if that happens but at the end of the day like nothing really changes with a bad outcome and I think just accepting the fact that bad outcomes are just part of life and living with it and start appreciating like the good outcomes more often. Cause I think this is what people, so like people are just always complaining about this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And nobody's really appreciating the good things about life. So like when someone is complaining about this run bad and he's saying like, I just lost 10 sessions in a row and I run so bad this month. And I like, dude, look at the seven other months where you just had the nuts every single time and made infinite money. Like, no, you never like mentioning this as often as the last 10 sessions, you know, this is just probably what, what, what life taught me is that, you know, bad experiences do not necessarily have to mean, you know, bad results, so to speak. And there was, at least this is how I gone through life is like the, the positive sides always outweigh the negative side so like i know even have a bad sessions i know that there's a lot of a, a lot of good session i have a good session more often than a bad session so i do not really complain about the bad session and i know that this is part of the game also losing because if if it was so easy to win everyone would just do it that's so i i guess it, i had this kind of mindset developed prior to poker already but it really kind of got better and better while while I was playing and trying to be um, more conscious about like that that specific stuff mm. I think you're because you're always reflecting you're always like trying to see patterns in your life and how things are working so just for your life experience you're realizing ah on good days life goes on on bad days life goes on when I have the worst downs in my life the sun comes up in the morning the birds still sing like things don't change too much around you but in our world like in our little bubble of our minds Sometimes things are like crazy different day to day. And once we can zoom out and see the bigger lens of our lives as a whole, I mean, that, most things are, are fine day to day. And I think they kind of, like you said, acceptance is one big skill, like accepting what happens, but also like realizing I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay no matter what. I have a downswing. I'm going to be okay. I have a bad day. I'm going to be okay. Because I think often we get so wrapped up in the small ups and downs, like say losing X amount of buyings for a few weeks, because we think that it's going to lead to something that we can't recover from. It's going to lead us down to a, a catastrophic out outcome that we need to worry about and panic, where you're almost like, ah, I play with a good bankroll management. I've got good skills in what I do. Life's good. I've got good circumstances around me. Everything's going to be fine. And then from that lens, it allows you actually to double down on the other kind of avenue which is gratitude for what you have and like appreciating when you're winning appreciating the fact that you get to play poker for a living when lots of people are play, having jobs that they don't enjoy and that also strengthens that kind of yeah kind of enjoyment what you're doing and gives you that kind of balanced perspective so yeah really really high level it's good that you've been able to develop that just through uh observation and kind of watching your own life and realizing oh, actually I've, I've got things covered yeah no, All right. I, I, I will i will add that there are certainly also days where maybe I had bad sleep i didn't have enough sleep like some stuff in life happened where i might not be as good in terms of you know the stuff that i stated earlier where you know the emotions come up and as soon as i as soon as there's one decision especially when when i play like 300 or 400 and i know that i just made a mistake based of emotions and i cannot really like in 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 the heat of the moment i cannot really get away uh, uh, get this emotion away i immediately stop for this day like I, I i just stop playing and then just you know sit down uh just think about it and and just come back the next day because like th these are the days usually where 
where I lose the most if, if I keep doing <laughs> But welcome to being human, for one. But again, that's also where most players in that situation would play too long. They'd grind through those sessions and lose more buys than you do. They also wouldn't go away and like try to reflect on why they were feeling that emotion. Were they tired? Would this something come up? And they might not learn from that the same way you do. So uh, even your bad days are probably a lot better than someone else who might be experiencing those same bad days. But yeah, I think having the emotions and realizing we're not robots, we don't have this static emotional state that stays consistent. We have ups and downs, good days, bad days, but how we navigate those consistently matters a lot, yeah. All right, I'm really curious now to go into uh, some reflection. All right, so for you, you're in quite a unique situation where you progress through the, the levels quite quickly. So uh, you're, you've almost like played the hundreds, the 200s, the 500s somewhat recently compared to like a lot of the high stakes guys we speak to who might have played them five, six years ago. So I think it'd be good to look back on maybe your earlier career and maybe give some kind of insights into players who are trying to progress. So let's say there's a 100 NL player watching this, listen to this, and he's like, oh, I want to progress up the stakes. I would love to play in one case, two case in the future but I don't know how to uh, progress in the right way. I feel like I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm doing a lot. I'm studying a lot, but I, I don't have like direction of where to go. Is there any advice that you would give to that player looking at your own trajectory when you were in that situation that could be helpful for him? Yeah, so I think that connecting with like-minded people or trying to connect with like-minded people is a very big part. And also that probably was a very bad skill back then. Nowadays, I'm, I'm a bit better at this. Is just not being you know, not getting your ego in the way of asking stupid questions, if that makes sense, and uh, asking other people for help and advice, because even if they play the same stake, they might have, that they can help you out in different areas where, where you might struggle. And the second thing is just, you know, focusing on everything that you can do rather than just putting it, or like blaming others in every possible scenario. Like the only thing you can blame is, variance for a downswing but that's all in poker like you cannot and this is probably what everyone is going to experience like as soon as you actually get to play against really good players you start appreciating you know the 100 200 500 grand where every decision now i mean at this point obviously back then it's different it's super clear so start start thinking about how you could you know, how you could shift your strategy when you play in weaker games and also try to, you know, connect with people that have different opinions in order to maybe merge or create something that, you know, will help you improve or, or, or excel your game. Yeah, and this has come up a few times in this conversation, letting go of the ego and tr trying to get past that ego so you can actually progress and move forwards. And I think all three of us have observed similar trends that players who get stuck very often create large egos and they aren't able to ask questions. They can't yeah, change their viewpoints. They're not looking for help or trying to prove their strategy in the same way. So uh, would you get, what advice would you give to somebody who might be going, okay, well, in the moment, I do have a little bit of an ego. I like to be right about things. If I'm, I'm having conversations with friends, I'm always the guy who's pushing my strategy and telling them I'm right. How do you start to release some of that? Because there's an element of kind of control they get from having a kind of viewpoint. How do you get someone to start letting go of their ego, be more open-minded and yeah, be more curious to, to learn? Yeah, that's a really tough one, actually. I, I, I mean, coming up with an idea is probably right now is fairly difficult. I think that kind of person probably needs a coach or someone that is playing way higher than him because the way you described the guy, I would feel that he would, you know, have his perception of himself being, you know, so advanced and so much better than the others that 
players on his level, you know, their their opinions won't matter as much. Whereas um, when someone is playing 10 times the stake and telling you, dude, what you're saying here is bullshit, then this guy might start thinking, well, maybe there's a chance that I'm wrong in this spot. So I guess if, if you have that sort of ego problem, I think the best way would either to reach out to people that play higher or or, or, or start investing into coaching or yeah, probably coaching from someone that you think is really good. Because I guess this ego perspective, you, you would need a person that you would think is actually better than you in order to believe or, or like trust the stuff that he's saying. So I guess that would probably the solution that I could come up with in that short period. That's great advice. And obviously like you haven't had that problem, but the way you problem solved that was great. And I think you're correct in terms of like you need inputs from outside that you respect in order to question what you're thinking. And that player who I described most likely has a lot of blind spots and they won't listen to advice from people around them because they build their own kind of ego to a certain level. So they're going to need someone to shatter that. Someone who's like way higher who goes, look, you're, not, you're viewing this all wrong and they're going to respect that person. So yeah, just uh, obviously a certain profile, but I think it's interesting to uh, think of the players who might be listening to this conversation who might be struggling to apply some of these concepts that we're kind of touching over and they might go, I'd love to let go of my ego, but actually I can't right now. What do I do? So yeah, I think it's a good action steps. And then in terms of focusing on what you control, very stoic concept as well. For you, like it seems like a very natural skill set just to uh, strip things down to their core components and go, right, what do I control right now? What happens when things are going out of your control and there's not much to hold on to? So let's talk about like a downswing that you're maybe experiencing. Actually, actually, obviously there's something to control, but what do you hold on to during uncertainty? Let's say you're during a bad patch of your career, things aren't going well, there's not much to cling on externally in results terms. What are some of the things you do or double down on during those periods to give yourself an element of control? Yeah, I mean, I obviously, in every single downswing, the longer it goes, the more you start doubting on what you're doing because the risk like you have probably not changed or even improved the this period and the results are just getting worse and worse and they're not really reflecting on on what you would be expecting or what you would want it to be so what i end up doing is i mean this that's like that this is probably more easy for me is like i just take either like an hour or something i just sit down and then look first of all at all the biggest pots that i played in that period and basically like look at look out for stuff that i did wrong when in a moment where i know that i'm i'm very rational not like not directly after a losing session not before the session like i, I just sit down uh, like whenever i do not grind or have a three day just looking at every single spots obviously the, like doing some sort of hand review also putting this over does this make sense is this right and this kind of like let's say i look at 30 hands and 20 of them are played poorly then i obviously have to you know, think about what I'm doing and, and start changing the stuff that I did in these 20 hands and try to improve. But usually what ends up happening is like, I just see again that all these hands were just not even close or like most of those hands were not even close and I couldn't do anything about it, which makes me feel like a lot better in that moment. Because while playing, you kind of make this decision, but you don't really have the time to reflect your decision while playing because there's like so much going on. You're playing seven, eight tables, and you don't really, you cannot really come to a conclusion. Whereas when you sit down and look, take an hour or two to look through all of those spots, like you, you can easily just work out whether this was just, you played poorly or you just ran bad in that moment. Mm -hmm. And what I do is when I really have doubts over like a very long period of time, you know, you can just always pull up the infinite hand sample with like that sort of win rate that you have. 
and put it into the variance cal calculator and then there is like basically zero chance that you're losing in 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 the long run if you didn't change or like started playing poorly at some point so just this this kind of come, comes back to convincing yourself that everything is good everything is fine and we're just having like a, a bad period where a lot of stuff is happening that you're not in control of yourself so important i hope people listening to this are taking notes because it's so fundamental to uh, this process you went through. Uh, you're using data to uh, reconfirm that you're on the right path and that there's nothing to freak out about. So you're analyzing spots. You're not just going, oh, I'm just going to keep playing for this downswing and hope it works out. You're looking at kind of your overall results to prove to yourself and remind yourself you're winning players. So your mind doesn't start catastrophizing that this month, two month downswing is going to last forever. So you're almost like using this kind of data and analysis to uh, bring you back to a centered point and go, actually, things are okay. On the flip side, you might also look at your game and go, actually, yeah, some leaks are coming up there's actually some things that are coming again right now i need to step things up i'm getting really sloppy in these spots i need to work on those so uh, it's not as like in a blind side of just going and keep going it's this stopping analyzing what do i control right now anything i need to improve nope all good everything's going well all right let's keep playing through that i think having that ability to do that yeah creates this kind of anchor that stops you getting too uh, down when things aren't going your way and maybe yeah losing confidence yeah i think this is also the benefit of downswings at least for me it's like when I when I'm when I'm on a downswing, I usually this is the time where I study the most because I'm I have the most doubts about my game. Whereas when I just sun run and I have the nuts every single time, it's not that hard to you know get the money and at, at this you know they just um it, it's just way easier to play when I when I sun when, when I run really well. I probably just do the study sessions that I have with my study partners. Whereas when when I'm running bad, I might even sit down almost every single day in order to figure out what's wrong, even though there might not be something wrong, but it's always good to refresh all the stuff that you learned in order to be more precise in the future. And this probably also, you know, influences the, the length of the downswing because then you just start getting more precise, you get more confident again because you, you work on your game. And yeah, this is, I mean, even if financially or like money-wise, the downswing is always bad, you know, this is just, Long term, I think it's uh, downswing is can be very beneficial for someone's poker career. Hundred percent, and I've I've noticed this common trend where players who reach the top, reach the top very often they talk about downswings so differently to other players. Where it's always I have self doubt, therefore I learn, I study the most, I make the most growth in my game during downswings. It's almost like a downswing is a catalyst to work in your game and get better. Whereas other players, downswings, they lose confidence, they start panicking, they have more emotions, they start either acting erratically in terms of their game, they change their habits, they change their, th their lifestyle around, they study either differently or less, and lots of things happen from a downswing which take them off path. Whereas for you and other high stakes players, downswing is all right, study harder, get more self-confidence. So one thing, a question I wanna ask on this topic is, what happens if you push this too far? So let's say uh, someone listened to this and going, okay, I've actually got a lot of self-doubt in my game right now. I tagged 50 hands yesterday, the day before. I'm really not feeling very confident right now. So I'm going to study like crazy. I'm not going to play much right now. I'm just going to study, study, study. And again, that trap of trying to build confidence by studying everything, trying to learn everything so they can come back. And as we've talked about today, it's such an infinite game. Even the best guys know next to nothing compared to what you can. You can go down a, a rabbit hole of trying to gain confidence from studying, but never getting there. You never quite get that box ticked enough. So any kind of thing you would say to those players who maybe um, push that studying or trying to gain confidence in the game too far to override self-doubt? Anything that you could recommend for them? I mean, I think what could work in that instance is like studying, obviously, a reasonable amount, but having some sort of 
structured plan of how much do you want to study, what do you want to study, not just mindlessly looking at higher solutions without any sort of game plan. Just think about what do you want to learn before you start studying and then trying to come up with you know, a strategy even for studying that is the most efficient. And I think not playing at all and studying only is probably also not beneficial. So I think if you're in, in, in that spot where you're in a downswing and you're really, you know, your confidence is took a bit hit and you want to want to mainly study, I think the best thing is either just move down one or two stakes in order still to get volume in and still to keep playing hands and still to like be, be in that moment. Because when you play a game, you just have a limited amount of time to make a decision. Whereas in the solver, you look at spots and everything seems so logical. But when you have to translate this into playing, like it oftentimes is very, very, very hard and very, very difficult. So if, I, I think even though you want to study more often, you could reduce the amount you're playing. But if you just don't want to deal with the emotional stress of losing, like you can just either, let's say you play NL100, you can just play NL50 or NL25 for a month and mainly use this month for studying and then come back at NL100 again with like a, a set confidence. Amazing, amazing advice. Yeah, I think that's bang on because the player is basically trying to regain confidence. So he wants to work on his game in a safe environment, but at the same time, he needs to play to get his game sharp and also to implement the things he's learning. And if he pushes any of those variables too far, he's going to, yeah, kind of, it's going to be suboptimal. So I think for yourself, the way you think of stuff, you're always thinking of what's the end goal. So the end goal is to gain confidence, improve my game. So I need to be playing in order to improve, to, keep, to get my game sharp, but I also need to be studying. So yeah, I think creating those dynamics where you can move down stakes, play safely. And yeah, I think it's, it's really good advice. I hear some players who are, uh, I'm always surprised when players like have a downswing and they do very extreme things. They're like, all right, I'm just going to study for three weeks straight. It's like, that's an interesting choice to uh, approach a downswing with. It's like, what made you think that was going to be effective? So uh, yeah, I like your very calculated, strategic way of uh, yeah, approaching that. Really good. All right, Renee, yourself, when you're on a downswing, anything you do to uh, get yourself back confidence to, uh, to get back to the games? Yeah, kind of similar. You, you Similar what Joseph said. You start to study more. I think it's very important as like a prevention, because I've been there, that I would then overly study. I definitely agree you should keep on playing. That's very important. Uh, but maybe prioritize so i would then look at my game and be like okay where's my game most off and like it's again also certain acceptance okay yeah I'm, I'm playing like shit uh but that's also just because you know you're not feeling confident blah, blah, blah. then if you start to study if you prioritize okay these are probably my biggest leaks let's work on those then you just feel more confident in those and guess what then you also start to play the other spots better like you cannot try to learn the whole poker tree. So, yeah. you know, focus on the thing, focus on the areas that you're currently most uncertain about that trigger most uncertainty because it's mainly, mainly that when situations trigger uncertainty, you feel uncertain and therefore you start to make poor decisions in, in, in all the areas of the tree. So I, I would study mainly the areas that trigger you the most. Uh, I would say that, that that's my advice and that's actually exactly what I would do as well. I can just get annoyed by a couple of spots that keep on occurring there where I feel lost. So that's a trigger. Then I don't have to you know, solve poker. No, I only have to look at, okay, these situations are really annoying me. And every time it gets me into situations that make me doubt myself and that makes me play worse in other situations, let's try to come up with a good game plan for those situations specifically. I think that will be, um, yeah, that would be good advice. Um, we're going to almost wrap this up. I'm curious going forward. What are your goals? Just continue on your path towards trying to become the best poker player you can be? I mean, that's the ultimate goal, yes. But um, I mean, I don't have any specific goals. Uh, 
looking back when I was playing two hundred, when I was playing five hundred, I was I, I thought these guys were crazy pl playing three hundred and two k. I didn't understand. Now I'm now I'm sitting there every single day, and uh, <laughs> it's hard to explain to other people like why I'm doing this uh, because uh, yeah. In terms of money, it doesn't make sense. But in terms of like self improvement and like improving again, I, I think it's 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 okay. Um, it's it, it up to necessity, right, to show up and to have a solid strategy. Whereas if you purely yeah. bum hunt, you can you'd be yeah. like, ah, why 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 would I put in all these hours of studying? Yeah. Like, why I, would I need yeah. to improve my game? Like, I don't I don't face any competition. And I I don't have any specific plans of playing like 10k nosebleeds or 20k nosebleeds because I think the amount of money they battle is absurd and like you know a couple of BB in win rate and the swings you would experience are insane. But well, to be fair, you said the same when you were playing 500 about the two. That's uh, I just wanted to make this point. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I wouldn't rule it out if 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 I actually could make it to the stakes and I have the bankroll that I would comfortably battle with and i could see some opportunity if occasionally sometimes i feel like the day is weaker that i would at least you know try to play in these games but that's definitely not the, not the goal I, I just you know basically it's what i, what I said earlier i just appreciate every, every single day that i can start grinding and live this lifestyle and for as long as i can do this i i'm very thankful for that and if the paths if the path that I take gets me to 10k no splits or 20k no splits, so I'll be it. And if not, um, yeah, like uh, it's it's all right too. Like I, I'm I'm in a position where where you know, like if if I stopped having this competitive drive, I probably could just bum hunt for the next couple of years without studying once and still make a decent amount of money. So, um, yeah, I I'll see what the future brings and. Um, Whatever game I might be playing, it that's that's the game that I <laughs> I want to play basically. Curious, what what do you think is something in your current game that still needs improving, maybe in order to to jump in these battles at the twenty k, for example? I have, I, that's a, that's a probably a really tough question because if there was obvious leaks that I could improve on, I would probably do that. Um, so most of it would just be the required bankroll that I need for myself in order to play these games. And then what I would also do before I jump into it, I would try to like the same thing that I did on stars when I wreck battle is like, I look at all the avail like the data that I have available for the guys that I play against and find, or at least figure out how to approach the game. And if I think that I'm somewhat competitive or like if I can play in this game without losing, then I would just join. Yeah, so it's like uh, if you if you can see where EV comes to you, then uh, and you, that, that makes you feel confident enough that you can beat the game, then you will sit down. I think it's, yeah, it's a hard question because you always, you, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? Like yeah, exactly. If you, have, if you have an obvious leak. But this is also sometimes you look at your game and you look through it through a certain lens with the knowledge that you have now and you don't see leaks. Whereas a year later, usually yeah. if yeah. you look at that same game, you're like, hmm, I did have leaks. I just wasn't aware. So I guess it comes back to what, what like a, a, a team throughout this, this pod, like to stay open, uh, open-minded and, you know, receive this discuss with others. Maybe they sometimes say something like, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Oh, wait, if that's true, then probably this is true as well. And that maybe leads you to a certain strategic... Yeah, I mean something that is probably a bit more problematic reaching these like no splits games or like 
the highest stakes that run is that let's say you play 200 there is like you know you have the 500 1k 2k guys that have less leagues you can look up to compare their stats but at some point when you're at the top there is no one that is you know objectively better so you probably have to work out a lot of things on yourself which i'm not sure if i mean obviously would work but um, you would have to come up with a different game plan as before where you could just compare to the super crushers like your own sets and figure out how they approach the game and then try to sort of implement some ideas into your game and to, to improve your win rate. Whereas on these stakes, this is not possible anymore because you're just playing the highest stakes, uh, highest game stakes available versus the best players. So that uh, you, you would just have to come up to play like Stefan, come up with different ideas where you think uh, that you can have an edge by just playing a whole lot of different strategies and uh, thinking that others are not as good or like are not as good as at coming it up by the fly or like freestyling versus that strategy as you you know having done some research or started that 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 sort of um idea kind of the element of surprise of chaos yeah i mean yeah or you just be so solid that you know you don't lose and you just hope that other guys get lazy and collect some some pb which, you know, if you look through the evolution of who's at the top over the last 20 years, that has happened, right? Staying at the top is often quite hard from a motivational perspective. Like yeah, I, I completely to, to understand that. To have hunger that, yeah. to yeah. go towards the top, that hunger is not really the same to stay at the yeah. top. Yeah, I agree. But I feel like also when you play those games, when you play against the best, most likely they will start putting you in certain situations that maybe, you know, you you weren't encountering as frequent as before. So basically their strategies will make you think more about your own strategy if you keep on getting into this annoying situation that you're like, sure. yeah. maybe there's something uh, I, I can do about this. Um, what advice, uh, no, not what advice, if, if people listening to this podcast, what would you like them to be the main takeaway that they leave with after our conversation? The main takeaway is basically like, <laughs> that depends like in terms of poker, probably just be open-minded and stop thinking that you know stuff, uh, especially when you play the lower stakes. Cause looking back at myself when I was playing 200 and L, I, I, I mean, I was just terrible. And I'm still, I would, I would still like today, I think I know like a little bit about the game and I try to have a solid game plan, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just so complex that you just have to be very honest in yourself and there is no one on this universe that has this game figured out and can even be be close to like a GTO bot, so to speak, unless you cheat. Um, therefore, I think just being open-minded for new ideas and try to focus on your own rather than looking at others. And if you look at others, um think about what that like let's say like if you think about others in terms of them being bad you should always think like one more street in terms like what what's what's the logical answer like how should i change my strategy when i play against these guys rather than just complaining about them being bad i think this is this 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 is probably one of the biggest problems that low six players have in general it's again right looking at the opportunity for the situation not exactly. fine about yeah. the situation yeah yeah right yeah, I I really like that. I I, I thought actually you were gonna you you're mentioning like let's say you get three bets ten times in a row or something. It's annoying. Actually, I thought you were gonna say 
uh, oh, this is great. I hope I get aces next hand and he three bets me again. That's, yeah, that's like, that would be a really Joseph thing to say. Actually, <laughs> I, I heard you mention it as well. This is, a, uh, I, I have been using it actually when, you know, shit, shit situation comes up. <laughs> like uh, I fold, I hope to get aces next hand. I remember yeah. you, you told me that once. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep this. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a very a good, good one. Like you're very excited for the next hand already when you hope for aces, then you don't have troubles folding or like just let Yeah, it exactly, right? One. But I, I like this one as well. If someone four bets a couple times, three bets, like, oh, this is great. Uh, I hope to get aces next hand and he does that again. Yeah. So statistically, it's less likely, but hey, that's not, uh, you know, <laughs> let's not ruin our optimism with logic. Yes, that's... Any any last words you would like to uh, share with our audience, uh, Joseph? Well, I think uh, everything uh, has been said that I, I I wanted to share. It's been great to talk to you guys, and uh, yeah, still appreciate being here. Adam, you have any final questions for Joseph before we let him go? No, I'd like to thank Joseph for sharing his wisdom. You're a very wise man, and you've yeah shared a lot with myself and Rene. I'm sure the audience are gonna go away from this and reflect on a lot. So yeah, thank you for your time, and we appreciate it. All right, thank you, Joseph for educating the listeners. Definitely a podcast, I think, worth watching back, listening back, taking notes. What do you think, Adam? Oh, yeah. I'm going to be replaying this. I'll also be doing the timestamps before everyone else has watched it. So I'll be definitely listening and taking notes. But yeah, great, great guest. And so much to share here. One of the main things I was getting throughout the whole conversation was how he's got this really clear objective for his life to be the best version of himself, especially in the poor context. And this is almost like making life a game a game of getting better and leveling up. And everything is, is looked at through that lens. So uh, often he'll speak about things very simply of how to just zoom out and look at his overall results, how to not get in touch with emotions, how to reflect on his performance and get better. And it's all coming from this lens of how do I be the best? How do I level up my kind of performance? And yeah, that's kind of the, the standard he holds himself to. A skill that was just super powerful throughout the whole conversation was perspective. It came up in terms of being optimistic, in terms of not getting too down on yourself during downswings. And it feels like he's just cultivated this by being very uh, intentional with his actions, but also reflecting a lot, like not like journaling, not going away and just writing stuff down, but constantly thinking about how can I get better? And it was really interesting when he talked about emotions and he he literally like kind of broke down exactly like what I teach my students on how to uh, overcome emotions in the whole framework. And he has talked about when he feels an emotion, he will just watch, watch it, watch the change in his state. You'll see the trigger event that caused it. And then he'll just use his rationale to realize if that wasn't helping him moving forwards. And that's a, it sounds so simple when he's explained it, but for most players, they struggle with that because they're not is intuitive with their own body. They're not as introspective what's going on. And they're missing all these moments where things are changing. But because he's constantly thinking, how do I do better? He knows that emotions can play a big role in his decision-making. So if an emotion comes up, he's like, ooh, flag that. Emotion came up, did that impact my decision? And sometimes we go back and realize something needs to be fixed. Other times he's like, all right, actually, that's fine. That's just a normal human emotion playing out. Uh, he spoke a few times about the human, being a human, and like not being human, so to speak. And uh, I was thought very funny because it, it was trying to convey the point that we often have a lot of logical kind of frameworks of thinking, of acting that don't help us as poker players. And if we can see those, we can often get past them by like, ah, that doesn't help us in the poker context. And he's done a very good job of yeah, being very introspective and realizing when things come up so you can actually move past them. But yeah, I mean, his progression has been amazing. The way he's got so much wisdom at such a young age is, is amazing as well. So yeah, really took a lot from that. And I'm looking forward to uh, yeah watching it back to take some more notes. What are some of the things you wrote down, Rene? That it's no surprise he rises to the ranks this fast. <laughs> That's <laughs> definitely uh, it's 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 no surprise there. And I definitely I thought the identity thing that you mentioned was very good. Like, oh, I'm a professional poker player, 
like this is just not i don't tolerate you know me tilting for example this is just unacceptable and he finds ways to yeah to, to progress I've, when he makes certain mistakes like this is this is unacceptable so i will fix those mistakes and he takes a lot of responsibility right he doesn't point elsewhere he points at himself constantly he's always looking like okay you know a lot of things are out of my control but what's in my control what can i do right and that gives you i think a lot of power usually uh the fact that you have actually have way more control over things uh uh yeah then you might actually think if you take on a bit more of a victim mentality type of thing definitely the optimism hope to get aces next hand like i said i speak to uh, i speak to uh sunny off podcast uh, various times as well and uh, yeah the the perspective i've seen this many times in action where yeah if he just thinks so positively uh, and it's really uh, i hope it's very contagious uh because yeah then i will think start to think a lot more positive as well even though i do think uh, i i have that as a trade as well um he talked about don't put better players on a pedestal this was a this is something that we've heard many times right people just give other people way too much credit i think it was also in the plenty podcast that i also asked like why are people stuck at 100 nl zoom yeah because they think 200 nl zoom people are amazing and they're constantly working on their game to be ready for 2-0 Zoom, whereas if they would just jump in, you know, and stop giving people all this credit, they would see it's not a big deal. Everyone, to talk in Joseph language, everyone still sucks, you included, and that's okay. Um, structured approach to learning, right? I think he gave the example of, he saw a streamer uh, practicing leading spots, hijack, uh, what was it? Under the gun versus hijack in a three-way pot that, that only comes up uh, a couple times a year. He said, no, you just want to uh, think about your strategy, focus on the most frequent spots or spots that have the highest EV, come up with a solid game plan, right? Don't make things too complicated. And then in-game, figure it out from there. Start with a good theoretical base and then in-game start to uh, to see how the equilibrium shifts based on the opponent that you're playing against, based on the ranges that you're currently facing, okay? But it's very important to first know the theory and have studied the theory in order to, to make that sort of in-game node lock in your head where you can say, okay, some things have changed knowing how I know that theory works, what would now be the correct solution? Um, let me see. Ah, this one was also a point I wrote down. Every battle was won before it's lost, which is like a quote, I think from, I think I got it from Sun Tzu, where like basically before he goes into a battle, I think this is something that George also mentioned. He already kind of knows what the leaks are and how the money is going to flow towards him, which already gives you a lot of initial confidence and gives you a certain sense of control. Also, in terms of knowing what kind of strategies your opponents are executing, I think he also mentioned we don't all agree on a certain strategy or some prefer a different strategy. So you shouldn't be suddenly cut off guard, right? By, oh, whoa, I didn't expect this overbet here. Now what do I do? No, if you play against someone regularly, you should kind of know what kind of things you will be facing so you can prepare accordingly. Also in terms of expectations, swings are huge. If you lose 10 buy-ins, don't start to immediately doubt yourself like, oh, I sh I'm probably not beating these games. Realize that this could be just a normal swing that you could uh, encounter, all right? I mean, we could go on and on and on. I would highly recommend re-listening to the pod, take notes and see how you can implement all this knowledge that Joseph has shared um, yeah, into your poker career. We're very curious what your main takeaways are. So like this video, subscribe, leave comments down below with your main takeaways. Then GTO Wizard will pick out one lucky guy.
or a girl that gets a free subscription for one month to GTO Wizard. So leave your main takeaways down below. I want to thank Adam for co-hosting this podcast with me. I want to thank everyone for tuning in again. And I hope to see you guys in the next episode.